From beyond the farthest reaches of our galaxy they come. Two brains pulsing with a strange energy. These space brains come to share their love of science fiction movies. Welcome to Space Frames, the show where we joy watch sci-fi movies and then talk about what was good and what was great. I'm Surrey and this is Mark. Hiya, tonight we're talking about Doomsday. It came out in 2008 and it's written and directed by the one and only Neil Marshall. Now he's a director that's helmed Dog Soldiers, The Descent and a few other titles including the recent Hellboy, the one that came out in 2019. So he's well and truly can handle directing a film. Uh, yes. <laughs> Sorry? He, he certainly can. He certainly but can. But you better turn back now because we're going to do spoilers. And if you haven't seen this movie, go watch it and then tune back in and listen to what we have to say and see if you agree. What's Doomsday about? Sorry, you ask. Are you, what's Doomsday about? about? COVID-19. No, it's not about COVID-19. Uh, but it's on. It's 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 a similar premise. Uh, it happens. This story starts. If I can talk properly tonight, I don't know what's going on. Uh, this this story is all about a pandemic across the UK. Uh, it's called the Reaper virus. Reaper, which is a great name for a virus. A surprisingly, it, not likely to be named a Reaper virus. <laughs> can you imagine if COVID nineteen was called the Reaper virus and what that would do? Maybe, but maybe it would stop people. It would, people would actually socially the isolate. murder virus. The murder virus. <laughs> the demon virus is coming to get you. Um, anyway, the Reaper virus spreads across Scotland, killing millions. And the British government do something very unlike COVID, which is also interesting, which we'll get into tonight. Um, they decide to lock everyone behind a big military wall. But when the virus then reappears 30 years later in London, they must send a military team back into Scotland, back behind that wall to locate any survivors to try to find a cure before it's then too late for London. London and, and the rest of the, of the world, UK, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Something yeah, like that. Something like that. <laughs> um, I did think it was really interesting that this film, we chose this film, I, I had no idea what it was, as we always do. No, as, as usual, it's like it's called Doomsday. It's, yeah. It says uh, an apocalyptic event. And yeah. like, okay. Yep, sorry, it was Sorry's choice. He picked it, great. I go in cold, I start watching it. And it, yeah, it was straight away really interesting because, you know, it's, it's a pandemic kind of film. Uh, and it's just interesting because, of course, we're in this pandemic. And so it's interesting to see sort of what some of the, how the government sort of dealt with it, you know, and, and what they decided to do. And there was some similarities and there was some then real extreme differences. So, yeah, so I think we'll get into that. And what was your number one takeaway from uh, Doomsday? My Doomsday number one takeaway was that even... In the apocalypse, there's time for self-referential humour. Okay. Yes. The uh, the reference to... He does the... Uh, in Scotland, in Glasgow, there's a little stage show, song and yeah. dance routine to... Awesome scene. Good thing by the fine young cannibals as they go to roast and eat someone. Yes. <laughs> uh, that takes a certain kind of ironic self-awareness. Yeah. In order to be able to make that 
that bit of humor there, which I do not doubt is what that guy's intention was. Definitely. Aren't we funny? We're killing and eating people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. and of course, good thing is this sort of upbeat, happy type of song, mm. which is also in contrast. Well, I, I do like that. Uh, I was going to talk about also in the apocalypse, people find time to design new fashions. They do, don't they? They they're quite often in these apocalyptic films got real a real eye for fashion and hairdressing. Yeah, the hairdressers yeah. and the fashion, like because you're thinking these guys are real badass with their chains and and tats and God knows what else, but they've got a lot of effort into their makeup. Yeah, and their hair mm-hmm. and their outfits. Yes, which means all of the uh, you know the the makeup artists, the hairdressers, and stylists. They're gonna fucking rule the yeah, the apocalypse. <laughs> and it's just totally gonna, you know. Well, kick, I can't go goals. eating people's Surrey unless I'm like looking really good. You gotta look like someone who eats someone. Yeah, yeah. And then also, like, if it's time to like go to war, we gotta get dressed up and do my hair properly. Yeah, I know. That's that's always the thing that that struck me. I, I went to a couple um, alternate bars in Melbourne, mm. and I said, yeah, there's this guy. He's got, you know, he's got a pink mohawk you know, he's looking like a classic late 70s early 80s british punk and he's got a he's even got a nose uh you know safety pin and his his jacket is a little bit his denim jacket is a bit torn he's got these patches on it and stuff and i went and spoke to him because you have to because um, he was he was really you know displaying his allegiance if you will mm-hmm. so yeah it turns out it it takes him about you know an hour and a half or so to get ready to come out because that <laughs> yep. hair doesn't just stick. Like it wasn't a short mohawk. No, it was like a big, full-on, proper one. Yeah, yeah. And it doesn't get that shade of pink without spending about uh, you know eighty dollars at the hairdresser. Not more than that because he only has a small amount of hair. But uh, yeah, and so he's still looking, going. Doesn't sound so frightening when someone takes that much time to no. get their look just right yes. <laughs> in order to appear frightening. Yeah, you still think that's not a person who's really frightening. No. The really frightening people, because you look at your serial killers, yeah, they don't put much effort in at all. No, you don't. You don't. You don't see them, like in movies. Yeah, they look scary and creepy, and they're all like you know done up. But in reality, the serial killers are the ones who are just wearing like the really drab clothing, and they're really ordinary looking. You can understand, like, um, oh, what was his name? I've just blanked his name. The leader, Saul. So, uh, Saul, yeah. So uh, you could understand him being showy because it's kind of the leader always needs to be showy, right? Oh, even our current, so. you know, politicians and even military leaders, there's a particular look to them. They have to be polished and ready to show, you know. And in this sort of extreme invite, you can invite, but you, you, the grunt soldier having a crazy mohawk, well, like, yeah, does he have time to do that? Like, you know, at any moment he could be like, you know, told to like wheel someone out and eat them in front well, of the we, whole. We crowd. only saw the soldiers. We didn't <laughs> see like backstage. Yeah, yeah, there would have been rooms full of you know, makeup artists, makeup artists, and dresses, <laughs> hairdressers, and yeah, yeah. clothing stylists. Was, the, the, once they're all out there doing their wild, crazy shouting, going to eat someone, they're all sitting back there having a you know a, a bottled water going. Holy crap, that was a big one. Oh, yeah, I know. We, I hope we, we don't co- have any more cannibal feasts this month because <laughs> I am pooped. And we co- that one was close tonight. <laughs> People, we, we were right on time. He almost didn't look like a complete psychopath. No. Terrible. We can't have that. Of course, I guess the other side of... You could say there's a plausible argument that uh, if you don't look like this, the leader and the henchman and whatever will eat you up. Yeah, you, you know what I mean? Like, if you walked in and go, look, guys, I'm not doing the Mohawk thing, they're like, eat him. <laughs> See, this... So there could be motivation. Like you just said, like the, the guy in the Melbourne nightclub, 
in modern society. Yeah, he's spending 90 minutes to get that hair perfectly up in the air and blah, 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 right? And he's got to go to a hairdresser. But in this environment, they may not have the makeup artist or the hairstylist. They've just got to do it because if they don't, they get eaten. Well, see, this is a problem. That would be pretty I, big motivation, I guess. I, I see in, uh, I guess, a lot of situations where you have an underclass and an overclass yeah. or, you know, a, a slavery class and the, the master owner class yeah. type of thing. If there's not a really obvious and easy way to tell them apart, yeah. you're going to have trouble. Yes. Because if, if yeah, I... Yeah, like one gang versus another. If I gonna... look just like the person I'm oppressing, yeah. it becomes really easy then for someone to mistakenly come up and then just start oppressing me. Yeah. And I go, no, 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 wait, hold on. I'm, I'm different. So mm. you've got to have, so they've got to dress as these hardcore post-apocalyptic punks. Yeah. Because the people who aren't dressed like that are the ones they eat. They're the enemy, yeah. That's right. Yes. So I think you've got a point there. So there's like strong motivation if, to spend all that time. If you can't spot the difference, you at any point they're looking at each other going, are you, are you food or yeah. are you... <laughs> on my team. Which way do we go with this one? You know, like... I think that's a good point. Yeah, I reckon so, that, that's the motivation there as well. Because all gangs have that kind of motivation. Dress like the boss. Be like the boss. Yeah, I mean, Otherwise, that's, that's, why, out, you know? that's why during the you know, early 2000s, a lot of people you know, wanted to look like, say, uh, you know, Robbie Williams, Tim, Justin Timberlake, Britney Spears. Mm. Because otherwise they'd get eaten. <laughs> By the end. So, I don't, actually, I think that metaphor's going a little bit far there. Yeah, it is. It is. But... They would be ostracized. They, they, you wouldn't be able to tell who you're allowed to dance with, and who you're not allowed to dance with if you didn't. If you didn't look, you know, like wear the the pale jeans with the white crop top and have blonde hair, then how would the you know the guy wearing the pajama top and the blue jeans and the artful little facial hair know that he's supposed to come up and dance with you? Mm. You know, you just wouldn't be able to tell. It'd just be like a free for all. You just and like go for whatever looks good. You know, it's terrible. Oh, that's crazy. Crazy. Yeah, thinking for yourself, that kind okay. of idea. So here's a question, though. How many movies were incorporated into this movie? How many mm. did you count? Because I've, I've got a number here. So uh, Neil Marshall, he's I've seen several of his films. Yeah, me too. And he's quite... Um, he's, he's not super serious. No, in his films. No, I don't think so. I mean, Doomsday could be said to be quite a serious film. Yeah. You know, like it's it's about this Reaper virus that's killing people and, and a yeah I think it, Scotland that's fallen to anarchy and, yeah. and so forth. But at the same time, there's kind of a playfulness to it. Yeah. So let's just stop there for a second. I don't know if anyone's seen Dog Soldiers. Dog Soldiers. Right. That was the first movie I saw of his, and I I, I haven't I don't have the IMDb thing, but I know I think it's pretty early in his career, Dog Soldiers, but two thousand two? Yeah, something like that, yeah. right? And I went and saw it I got I got tickets to it at the mo- like a free pass to go. And it was one of those ones like the cinema was full and most people were young and it was like laugh out loud moments mm. coupled with sheer gore terror moments. Yes. And and he did it in a really great way like it was it was kind of again as someone that grew up i watched a lot of horror when i was young like there was all those cliche horror moments but then the, i think the gore factor went off the richter scale kind yeah, of it, it, and so but there was like there was that funny kind of am i actually watching a horror film or am i watching a horror comedy film like you know and so i think that's what you're saying and i agree in this there's 
there's really, you know, action-packed moments, isn't there? And also really strong, um, you know, characters and also really strong uh, plot points. But then there is in some of the action, like the extreme part that you go... It's it's a little bit tongue in cheek, isn't it? Yeah, it's, like I said, that the whole um, good thing, fine yeah, young yeah, cannibal song, right. could have had any generic hard rock track. Then yes. would have worked, but a pop track by someone, a band named Cannibals. cannibals yeah, it's an in, it's kind of like an inside. It's almost like he's doing an inside joke. Well, it took it took story. me a moment there because leading up to that, it was, and we'll talk about the music later because I, I yeah, the music's great. When you start looking at films to see the good and the great in the science fiction, you really start to to read more about what the the art of what the director's doing. Yeah. And, and this this movie's chock full of it. Yeah. But yeah, so the, the music How, was one set and yeah. then suddenly this sort of pop track, a recognisable pop track, and I went, yeah. that's a really weird choice after what's been going on here and the, and the scene. Yeah. I mean, why would you choose, what is it? That's Oh, that's a good thing. Ah, by the fine young cannibals. Yeah, you know, yeah. it, it sort of rolled into my head as yeah. I was... I was shocked by it and had to think about it and went, oh, yeah, okay, mm. that's pretty cool. Um, so your question is how many films do you think of within this film? Yeah, how many, uh, how many films are referenced or insp- taken in space? Okay, well, from? I can see Mad Max in this film. Yeah. All right. I can see... So yeah, I can see Alien in this film. Yep. I can see... Oh. Hmm... Well, I can. I don't know exactly the film I'm thinking of, but there's definitely that, that whole scene where she and her partner at the start invade the ship, and she's got the eye, and it's. I mean, like that's like a real action film from the '90s, isn't it? Mm. Like, I mean, I don't know. There's probably a dozen. Even that TV show SWAT that I think used to be around in the '90s or something like. There's probably a dozen films there where they go onto a boat and they, you know, like yeah, attack. The so there's some sort of like two ship, mercenaries doing a drug deal and. Like it's so common, isn't it? It's such a common scene. Okay, well, I'll, yeah, I'll I don't know. The, so maybe to I, me, it's like maybe three films. I I pulled out six. Okay, so you've thought about this. Here we go. So aliens. <laughs> so yeah. the entry into Scotland is aliens. Yeah, they're in the APCs, troop soldiers. They go in there, and it's it's a quiet. He even says, "Check those corners." Yeah, which is direct apone from aliens when they're first going through the things, and then there's the um. The the in aliens, there's a woman in the wall who's like got her head hanging down and she's yeah. like, you know, encased. Yeah. <laughs> and they lift her head up and yeah. then her eyes open and go, Oh my god, she's alive. That's when the alien shit happens. And this one here is a woman outside the APC just standing there. Yeah. And he goes, oh, I've got to go get her. Yeah. Like God knows why. Yeah. I know. And, and he he goes out and yeah, as soon as he said, Oh, she's alive, I'll, I'll take her in. All the you know, people just start coming out of the yeah, the woodwork. walls basically. Yeah. So, straight up aliens, then the escape out of that again, that's aliens escape from New York. Yes, so yeah, she's got yeah. one eye for crying out loud, yeah, and yeah. An eye, eye patch, so just like Snake Plissken. Mm. And you know, the, the machine guns riding, blasting away. The yeah, music, that's the other movie actually. I was thinking the music, yeah. even through there, is, is that 80s. I think that's what I found was I was talking about the music here, the start music is kind of that. 80s synth rock tension action movie stuff. Like it was, it was quite nice. I was going, gee, this is a anachronistic sounding soundtrack yes. for what is yeah, yeah. set in 2038 or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, and then, you know, she's getting her eyeball out and she's like shooting up guys. And I went, okay, this is just purely Escape from New York. 
<laughs> bit of 28 Days Later in there. Yeah. Of course, the yeah. um, empty streets. Empty streets. The quiet, you know, isolation. That's great. Yeah. And you said Mad Max. But also there's James Bond. She's jumping his Bentley. She's doing that car chase. Yes, Before it turns into Mad Max, she's going down the mountain pass and one car is chasing after her and, you know, there's sort of that bumping into each other. Yeah. After that, it become purely Mad Max. Yeah. But it's also, it's a Bentley. It's a classic, you know, British brand. Yes. And it's a pumped up sports car. Yeah. They actually went through three of those cars in the filming of this. Yeah, right. And, but one of them, they accidentally drove into a gorge. I don't know the story behind that, apparently. But <laughs> there you go. But uh, yeah, so the other two, they've, one of them was used for the stunts. Mm. And they were able to resell that. They were quite surprised that after you know, jumping through the bus yeah. and doing the skids and the bumping and banging, they just got the panels beaten back out yeah. and polished up. And it was like, fine. fine they yeah. sold it again. Yep. So there you go. It's, Bentley did not sponsor this film. Bentley does not sponsor any films, apparently. Yep. They don't do product placement there. A little bit too high class. For high class. Not like yeah. BMW and Jaguar. And Audi. Uh, and finally, like something like Robin Hood or something. Yes. Like yeah, that yeah. was a surprising turn in this film. Yes, it was. Yeah, so... And each of these sections has its own soundtrack to it. We start off with the, as I said, the the 80s sort of synth action stuff. We got to this pop music and um, more contemporary. And then in the Robin Hood sequence, we've got... Uh, choir vocals and almost more classical medieval sort of sounding music mm. through to a then a contemporary cinematic soundtrack of orchestral type stuff as she goes through the um, you know, James Bond sequence and into the Mad Max chase. Yes. It's, it's yeah, yeah, you start paying attention to these things and you really start to go, okay, he's very purposely choosing, you know, the music is not a set tra- soundtrack throughout. It changes... Uh, you know, I suppose time period and tone. Yes, definitely. As each section of this movie comes through, and yeah, I derived a fair bit of pleasure from that. That's quite good. The film is pretty vast, isn't it? When you break it down, like the way you've just done it, then it's made me think. You know, because you think, you know, at the start you've kind of got this, you know, mother daughter outbreak, government clampdown, and then you've got this really high octane action sequence, and then you've got. And sort of political thriller, you know, mm. like th- that could be a James Bond or a Mission Impossible styled sort of scene, you know what I mean? So you've gone from kind of more of a, uh, maybe a traditional kind of horror opening film, and then it becomes this really high octane, you know, uh, explosions, gunfights kind of scene. And and then, you know, the dirty cop and the bad politician and, you know, them kind of doing dirty tricks. You know, like it's almost a bit spy thriller. Yeah. Then you kind of, uh, you know, into this crazy uh, apocalyptic anarchic Mad Max sort of world. <laughs> and then you're into Robin Hood yeah. men in tights. Like, Robin you Hood, know, yeah. You know, like, or the Princess Bride. You know, you're kind of, you know, on the road in this big epic, you know, Scotland highlands that... A beautifully shot, you know, there's a nice helicopter shot in there, I know, where they're like trailing over the mountain. They go through the tunnel, don't they, to shortcut? And then they come across this ruthless castle. I could also almost throw Narnia in there because that tunnel, that that whole purpose of that tunnel was to take us from one world to another. One Scotland into the medieval ideal. Yeah. That's that's quite wonderful. So, with all of that, is this a hope, a warning, or an experiment? I found that this film hard to clearly break into those three. I don't think hope at all. 
I think it's between warning and experiment. Um, I'm leaning a bit more into an experiment that goes wrong, <laughs> an experiment with a warning or with a caution. Uh, I feel like it's an experiment because if you say, here's this pandemic, it's a hypothetical at the start of the film, mm. and also on top of that, well, then this is how the government dealt with it. And then we fast forward the 30 years into the future, the, that's kind of then a hypothetical, you know, like, would that realistically happen or not? Yeah. And that's what the film kind of details. That's what the story is. So to me, I'm thinking more of an experiment in that it's a hypothetical experimental future after the government makes a decision like this right now. Yeah, what, what would that outcome what be? What would that outcome be if the government did that versus kind of what we've done with COVID? And, and it's really interesting to watch a film like this. I read an article as well, them talking about the five, uh, I read a recent article, it was like five um, pandemic films and uh, they got a film reviewer to kind of talk about them. But they also got, and it was a leading Australian Doctor, I don't know who it was exactly the doctor's name, but he also rated the films in their realistic kind of outcomes, you know. Um, and it was that Steven Soderberg film that was around this vintage, you know. It is, um, it is. I think is it called Pandemic? Or um, I think it might be called Pandemic. It's quite an interesting film that one, Steven Soderberg one, where. Um, yeah, the, Gwyneth Paltrow sort of starts the film and she dies really quickly. Sorry? I think it might just be called Pandemic. Pandemic, yeah. That was the one that the doctor said was the most oh, well, realistic. Or Outbreak. Okay. No, Outbreak's the 90s Dustin Hoffman Yeah, one. that Dustin was another Hoffman. one they Sorry, did yes, talk no, about. Pandemic, yeah. but, it, but it is interesting. I don't want to go down those films right now, but it is interesting because um, this film, like it's such a hard edge approach from the British government to kind of like lock Scotland off with a great big wall. Uh, and then and, and armored, you know. And, well, I know that the tanks the and all that kind went of across thing. Hadrian's Wall, yeah, which is the Roman yeah. defense system, yes, against yeah. the Scottish. Because you know, <laughs> if anything, England needs defense from the Scots. Yes, of course, at all times. Um, so it's a real hypothetical kind of version of it that maybe wouldn't happen. And with COVID, we can see. Well, no, this wouldn't necessarily be the approach. I, I thought that was interesting as well. But I, I agree with the experiment point of view, but. I was wondering about that because the difference here is this Reaper virus. First of all, it's got a really scary name. It does. Super but scary. its death rate was phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's, I got the impression it was like, um, well, it's like Ebola style death levels. Yeah. It's like better than 50%. Well, yeah. It had to be at least, right? Because, and I'm thinking how much more serious. So you'd have to have a fair incubation period because mm. that's, that's what makes COVID good. Good, in terms of uh, a a good, capable virus, is that it takes about two weeks before you start showing symptoms. Yeah, roughly speaking, and then when you've got symptoms, it progresses a little bit slowly, and then the sudden on, and you're only incapacitated. So, from the time of exposure to the time where you're kind of going, uh, I've got to stop. It could be two, three weeks or more. Yeah, and even once you get over the worst of it you still might have a few more weeks after that. So yeah. you've got this plenty of time to spread it around, yes. particularly in those two, three weeks before you're incapacitated. Yep. So if this was a virus similar to that where two, three weeks could go by, you could, people could be wandering around, not a clue in the world that they're just about to drop dead. Yeah. Um, and then you had this you know, rather aggressive, you know, people come out with boils. That's very Ebola-style, yeah, you know, yeah. hemorrhagic sort of yeah. um, 
small poxy type thing, mm. then I, I think our responses to it, because no one would just go, oh, it's just a bad flu. Yeah. Because like you can look, you can see people, they're like pustuling <laughs> and vomiting yeah. and, you know, dying yeah, in, changing rapidly. in droves. Yeah. You would get a much more, you wouldn't get this kind of, Oh, should we be in lockdown? Should we be wearing masks? Yeah. Should we? Yeah, people, they'd be going, not only should we be in lockdown and should be wearing masks, but we should definitely keep anyone that we're afraid of or concerned about. And so in this case here, you've got the old England-Scotland divide. Yeah. Is a, I suppose it's traditional in, in some many ways. Like there's, there's been conflict at that border for, yeah. for various reasons at various times. Yeah, it'd be very easy then to go, okay, well, that's where it's coming from. Chop them right off. I don't know where they get the resources to build a wall at such speed, mm. but the concept of closing the border in a very hard way yeah. and then having to enforce it because yeah. if you're some poor Scotsman or a or an Englishman caught north of the border when they close that border, you're going, well, you know, I've got maybe a 40% chance of surviving um, the initial outbreak. Mm. And then of that 40%, now uh, you know, we're cut off from all aid. Mm. I don't know how to farm mm. or do anything. Yeah, you know what what is going to become of me? Like, yeah, all a cannibal power. <laughs> and, but, oh, I'll eat that, my neighbor. That's I'll the funny thing is that they turn to eating people, and yet they pass through a big field of cows. Mm. Why don't they eat the cows? There are yeah. lots of cows and sheep in Scotland. Yeah. In fact, if sixty percent of the population all died from a virus, there would be so many cows and sheep and chickens and pigs and God knows what else, and deep-fried Mars bars, that you wouldn't have to worry about eating people. No. But anyway, I suppose tastes change over yeah, time, don't they? You know? But anyway, it's, it's, I did think it was an interesting experiment where they just sort of said, okay, we've got this really aggressive virus. What, what might happen if the government decides to go for a, a really hard lockdown? Because I could kind of imagine that level of ferocity being exhibited because if people were afraid enough yeah they would agree to just about anything particularly if you're south of the border you'd say yeah yeah close that border close off that shoot it border. or yeah, yeah. it across yeah, yeah and and in fact if it's that deadly you probably would yeah uh, i dare say you would get to that point where you'd sort of say seriously do not try to cross this border yeah because yeah, well, you know, actually, if one person gets through, it's not the case of, oh, now we're going to have to contact Trace and we're going to have to isolate. And, uh, yeah. What a pain in the bum. Well, actually, now that you've just said it that way, it's like made me think because I've watched a few comic videos about WA having such a hard border during this COVID to the rest of Australia. Mm. And, and I mean, that's to COVID. So you are right. Like if you had some sort of virus like this reaper virus where people are out in boils and stuff, imagine if they were coming to the WA border well, you wouldn't and have... we're in here and you're okay. You'd be like... Shoot those bastards. Yes, do not let them <laughs> like, in. Do not let them in. We're okay in here. Like, don't let them in. Maybe we would build a massive wall. And, and you wouldn't like, get anyone denying. You wouldn't, you wouldn't get going, anyone on the West Australian side saying, eh, don't build it. Like, you'd get everyone going, no, build it. Yeah. Like, it just, is funny, isn't it, actually, when you think, when you do think about it. So maybe it's not that far-fetched. Yeah. I, I think, I think the, the speed at which they took the action to do that. Yeah, anyway. I but, suppose yeah, it, yeah. This, this is the experiment. They, in yeah, this movie, the they make that choice <laughs> and what comes out of it is um, a, a further experiment of yeah. two sides. You've got Sol who has got the survivors in Glasgow mm-hmm. and they're, again, they're sort of doing survival of the fittest and they're they following 
an idealized, you know, an ideal anarchy uh, or despotism or whatever you want to look yeah. at it there. And then you've got, uh, what's the guy's name? Andy McDowell's character? Yeah, he... Kane. Oh, Kane, yes. Yeah. Of course, Kane. Yeah, Martin, Kane. Martin Martin Abel. <laughs> He's going to be, have the mark of Kane. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so Kane, then he has his idealized version, which is sort of a return to, to quote-unquote tradition, mm. which I'm looking at going, yes, but do you have to give up on, like, hygiene? Wouldn't mm. you have more hygiene? But they're all grubby and, like, dirty. And, like, you think out of a pandemic, yeah, maybe you go live in castles and you're more agricultural, but... I have a feeling your hygiene will still be quite high. I think you'd still use soap, wouldn't you? Yeah, water you at the very least. You know? <laughs> but they were all grubby peasants. Yeah. So I don't know. He just wanted, Kane just wanted to be realistic, you know, in that way. Yes. What um, was your favourite scene? Favourite scene? Oh, there's a couple of good ones here. So one of my favourite scenes has got to be the fight in the cells where she's escaping from Sol's team. Yeah. So she gets out there and she's talking to Kane's daughter. Yeah. And then that spiky-headed woman comes yeah. in and has this fight with her and lops off her hand and then you get the blood spurt. Yeah. And then chops off her head and... <laughs> and then just to top it, so, so this is, you know, a bit Black Knight and the Monty, Monty Python, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, yeah. you know, lopping off limbs and so forth. But then just... Stepping around the corner is some dude. Do, 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 do. He goes, he's, I think he's literally going, <laughs> and he goes, whoa! <laughs> and she chucks the, the thing, and he turns around and just runs off. Yeah, that that was this lovely balance there of you know hardcore, you know badass fighting badass yeah. with blades in a dungeon. Mm. Like that's great. Yes. But then, and, and you get then, but then you get like heads being lopped off as, as the teenage sorry inside me because he never dies. Is going yes, blood, <laughs> chop, chop, chop. And then you just get this little, this guy. Doo, 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 doo. Oh hi! What, what? Yeah. what have I come across? And that's I don't that, want to be any part of this. And that's that lightning of the mood. It's sort of like yeah. here's something pretty grim, like really, so I'm being butchered. Uh, but then it's just here's just that just a little bit there, which is sort of realistic yeah. this guy wasn't looking for a fight he wasn't coming run down there ah, he was just coming down there he's like doing his check or whatever just yeah. strolling having yeah. a stroll I don't know maybe it's it's also it's very similar when she broke free at Kane's place there was sort of a similar scene wasn't it because she fights that big guy that obviously he's probably never lost mm. um, and then when she starts beating him you know, she does things that are kind of against the rules and that's it. like she climbs up and gets the weapon off the other guy, you know, beats up the other yeah. guy and gets the weapon. And then when she does kind of get to that point of winning, her sidekick kind of come, you know, he's in, he's escaped and he's got his gun and starts blowing the crap out of people. So it's kind of, people aren't expecting that, you know. There's, no. So there's that unexpected violence in this film, which is nice. Yeah, it's, it's quite, quite good. In fact, um, I've got, a different take on this. This is something I want to be trying. I, it's, it's something I've got uh, off, a hypothesis off the internet. No, it's not a hypothesis. It's just it's just a an, an interesting thing. Is this, how how else might I describe what what might be a, a little blurb that you give Netflix? You know, Netflix has like yeah. one sentence. Yeah. So here's here's my attempt at a one sentence, which well you'll see what it is. So. Sorry's attempt at a Netflix blurb. Netflix blurb. 
A handicapped spinster is driven to a violent killing spree in an effort to reconnect with the mother who abandoned her as a child. <laughs> yeah, that covers the bases. That's, that is essentially the movie, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. She's, she's missing an eye. Uh, she's not attached to anyone. It's like there's certain um, connotations using the term handicapped and spinster. There is. Which, yeah, well, but she's driven to a, and she goes on a killing spree like seriously yeah. she kills a lot of people she does uh, possibly unnecessarily yeah in many cases but you know <laughs> there you go and and it, the reason for her going up there is to reconnect with her uh, you know estranged mother yeah well, well she doesn't know if her mother has lived all this time has she no no clue no so that's, that's the only thing I'm, I'm going to... I'll try that with our future movies as well as we go along see if I can come up with some sort of an alternative um, way of describing Because if, if, I, if I read that and then saw that movie, I'd go, oh, yeah. But again, if I read that, I'd be going, should I watch this movie? Like, <laughs> interesting. But there you go. So uh, it's a science fiction film. What is something of science fiction that you like in this film? Her eye. So just after you have said she's a disabled spinster, I'm thinking... Yeah, it's the disability bit that I really liked. I like, I I mean, it was so cool. Um, Again, like the gore of uh, a Neil Marshall film, you have in that opening sequence a mother and a child being shot at by the English and uh, the child gets shot in the head, you know, like in the eye, you know, and you don't really see it, but you you sort of see her eye damaged. And I, I, you know, and then the mum hands are over to the helicopter, the British, and they, you know, the guy hops off, so he's a good guy. You know, he hops off. Yeah, I'm surprised we didn't catch up with him later. That would have been awesome. I think he was just devoured, wasn't he? Yeah, but um, it, would have, it would have been good, though, because uh, he was such a nice man. <laughs> he was a nice guy. Anyway, so she has survived, and then to jump that 30 years, and then now she's like this trained military cop, whatever she is, um, SAS kind of badass. Badass. Uh, you send her into the operations. You don't want to send anyone else in. But she's got this eye. That's one thing. But then this eye can be used in so many ways, like around the corner, and she can see what's going on with it. Um, I just thought that was a really cool. Pi- I'm sure anyone with a prosthetic eye would love their eye to do that, wouldn't they? Yeah. I'm- I mean, like it's a little camera thing, and she can. Rewind and rewatch it, right? Like so, she can see see it live, but also record. Well, reminds me these of little that. disc things and give them away. Have you seen the the Black Mirror? In the Black Mirror, they had a. Um, for those of you who don't know, Black Mirror is an anthology science yeah, fiction show, right. and it kind of many of the episodes kind of share a, a universe. Yeah, like they sort of have similar technologies turn up for different uses or um, at different stages of development. Right. And one of them is this, you know, um, recording and viewing everything that you're doing and being right, able to go yeah. back through your memories. And that. Yeah. There's, there's one episode where that's particularly yeah, important. That's other right. episodes, I have seen that one, yeah. Other episodes where it's featured, but it's not yeah. It's not the star of yes. that episode. Yeah, and so in the Black Mirror, he kind of looks at his job interview or something, doesn't he? And it's something like that in the Black Mirror, isn't well, it? Yeah, yeah and he comes to a party and they're, t- and they're rewinding yeah, it's, there's how part he did. Of it, it's part of it also the um the the crux of that is the relationship. Yeah. Where the woman finds his recording of a an affair he had. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, anyway, we won't won't go into that because people might not have seen it. Um but yeah, I, I liked this idea that it'd be so cool to like pop out an eye 
throw it around the corner, see what's going on around the corner. So handy for someone like her. Not very hygienic. Not very hygienic because who knows whether the you know who's walked along this floor is there any blood or whatever. She can pop it back in at any other time. Um, when she's trapped in that uh, dungeon with souls, you know the guy's like examining it and he's like going what because he can see the mirror image, can't mm. he? In the eyeball, remember he's sitting on the ground and he's like looking at it and he starts to see someone coming up on himself because it's her. Yeah. And so, like, it can be even used as, like that as a trap, you know, and oh, I just thought it was a cool piece of sci-fi. I mean, people would love that. I it, is, as, it is always nice when you have the, uh, I guess, augmentation, unintentional augmentation or yeah. coincidental augmentation because she lost an eye. Yeah. So, you know, an eye prosthesis is entirely yep. probable. Yeah. But why not make it useful? Oh, to- yeah, that's right. <laughs> Yeah, so I liked it. I thought that was a cool piece of um, sci-fi. Had you, you had seen this film before? No, this, no, is, this is the first brand time. Brand new for the first time. And how did this film make you feel at the end of it? At, at the end of it, happy. Happy? Yes. In it, it you said teenage sorry yeah, was happy. It, it, it kept, the gore, the blood, it kept tickling. the guts. But it was also enough kind of, uh, as I said, um, efforts at art, if you like. You know, there's, yeah. there's that sort of... Uh, Input. You could feel there was effort and heart put into making the film. Yeah. It wasn't. It wasn't purely a soulless piece. There was a uh, an homage to favorite films and directors. Uh, I was reading actually a couple of characters. Then one name was Miller and mm. one was Carpenter. Mm. Okay, you know Frank Carpenter, uh, Miller, John, John Carpenter, <laughs> Frank John Miller. <laughs> yeah, for Mad Max and yeah. um, like Escape from New York. Yeah, uh, there was. Uh, another interesting thing was the... Well, Miller, Ro- Miller Rona, is Mad Max, yeah. Rona Mitra is Annie McDowell's... No. No, no. Uh, uh, the Prime Minister is Annie McDowell's nephew. Right. I think. Or is it Rona? I can't remember. One of them, there's a relationship there anyway. So that's interesting. Um, but yeah, I, I got to the end of that and I, was, I sort of felt... I, I liked the, the Prime Minister Hatcher. Yeah. Because... It was close to, you know, Thatcher. Yeah. But also, uh, he's from Battlestar Galactica, which I, I really like mm. the reboot of. He's been in a couple other shows like that. It's quite good. Quite often you find, I think this, this film's a little bit cultural, isn't it? Because, and we would probably do the same in the Australian culture, but, you know, films like this, when they're American, again, if the president is shown in a film like this, they will tend to be a good guy. Mm. But I think, again, culturally, because it's British we end up having like, well, the prime minister was, was kind of okay. And he, he, he got he spat bit, on and died. He's, a bit limp-wristed. A bit limp-wristed. Yeah. When, um, uh, what's his name? You just said, uh, took over the role. Yeah, old he, Scottish man. Yeah, yeah. When he took over the role, found, he was, he was the real ruthless kind of prime minister in charge then, wasn't he? Um, and I think, again, that's a bit cultural that the leader's not necessarily the good guy. Yeah, what was that guy's name? I don't have it down on my list. I, there no. was a meeting on there was there was there was a a point I want to make about it because it was the name of uh, uh, Nazi. Yeah, but I think again, a bit culturally effective because we we have leaders. We you know we don't have that same sort of patriotic leadership that you know the Americans will have, for example. And I think the British are a bit the same. Aren't we? We're a bit cynical of our leader. Yes. 
No, I said Annie McDowell. I was just not Annie McDowell. I was Malcolm McDowell. Malcolm McDowell. <laughs> just anyone who's listening is thinking, Andy McDowell? I I like, that's, Andy a, that's a woman. I know. I was, oh, you were confusing me. Okay, yes. I'm sorry. That's why I got confused myself. Yes. David O'Hara was the, the guy. He plays the pri- uh, acting prime minister or something, doesn't he? But he's also the leader. Ah, uh, Canaris. Canaris. Yes. Is that his name? Yes. Canaris, it, it, yeah. which is a, a name of, it's taken from is a Nazi um, guy in yes. World War Two who got right. in trouble. Yeah, I can't remember what it was, but yeah, and indeed in this Canaris is a bit ruthless. Yeah, he wants to kind of lock everyone. He, his plan, remember at the start, is well, as London has an outbreak, we can kind of like isolate London then. With the yeah, canal bits of it, yeah, and it's like four million people. Oh well, we'll just just let them. Well, know. we are getting a little bit full, yeah, because I think the UK itself is isolated from the rest of the world as yeah. well. Yeah, it's just that London still had the resources and wasn't infected, but now yes. it was. Yeah, so he was he was hoping to let the death toll mount a little bit for mm. some. That's really. And there is a scene where he says, "Well, you know, if we let a few go." few go you know like it's not the end of the world well yeah it's not as long as we are okay here (laughs) it's it's not me so yeah so who cares for the greater good we'll let four million people die why not yeah (laughs) so have you been up to any recent science fiction or creative stuff yourself i've I've been now reading my short story to my wife picked up a couple little minor details and i've also started writing a uh, so I'm writing a, a screenplay for that. Yep. So I'm getting out a what they call a series bible. Mm-hmm. So that's all my notes about the world, where this story would be going. Exciting. We're going to see this on Netflix soon. Sorry. It'll be on Netflix pretty soon, I think. Okay. Like, <laughs> if not Netflix, look, yeah, there's some By the time we're recording channel. the next episode, it's going to be there'll, out there. There'll be a streaming channel out there that wants this, you know. They're, yeah. they're, there's precious few people writing scripts for Netflix. That's right. So they'll take whatever they can get a hold of because it's yep. so rare and uncommon. Mm, yeah. Uh, no, primarily it's really uh, just an interesting exercise to get some of those skills because yep. I've written uh, audio drama, I've written novels, mm. short stories, um, music. And so it's just sort of something else to have a go at and see how it goes, see where it ends up. Nice. So I don't know what will happen to it. Mm-hmm. But... You never find out if you don't do it. Yeah, definitely. So definitely. So there we go. So that's looking good. Again, I'm. It's being based off the short story, so there's a few details are changing. There's some uh, gender reassignment, <laughs> gender flips going on. So the original was Hansel and Gretel. Uh, I'm swapping the Gretel gender and of Hansel. Hansel and Gretel around <laughs> because I think it'd be more interesting. Yeah. Uh, and allows for uh, a, a bit more dynamic tension there. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's another two characters, so it's going to be like revolving around three stories at the same time. One of those sort of deals. Mm-hmm. So where they're each nice. each dealing with a slightly different aspect, and they will obviously come together as the, the plot goes on. Uh, and yes, so, lovely. So there's a, a reporter who was a woman in the book, is now becomes a man uh, again because I think. It just works better. Okay. It, it, it makes it a little bit more interesting, m- m- uh, mentally interesting, socially interesting. Okay. Because of the role that this character will be playing, 
it would be too cliched as a woman. Like I, I wrote it as a woman, this reporter reporting on good time news stories, just because, uh, primarily because Hansen, Hansel was a boy, a teenage boy, and so it made more sense that he's going to see some hot news presenter and pay attention and want to go talk. But uh, the role of that news presenter is going to be playing in the larger story arc would be, I don't know, maybe it'd be too... It, it just wouldn't work as interestingly, I think, Okay. if it was a female. I, I'm trying to think of how best to explain it, but, yeah, you know, it's, it's just there's, there's certain expectations you get from a female news presenter and a male news presenter, mm. and I like to challenge the expectations a little bit, and it just makes it... You've got to work ever so slightly, not a lot harder, but just that little bit harder mm. for this character, for its growth arc, if okay. you will. Yep. And that, that just, I think, adds a little bit more, what do you call it, drama. Yeah, without, without having to actually write any extra different, it could be exactly the same, but by changing the, the, the gender and thus some of the expectation, then... Yeah. So what? Well, it's the old, uh, you know... Um, uh, Ripley, isn't it? You know, like mm. the script was a man and they cast it as a female. You know, they, they reversed it. So the expectations from the audience are, oh, well, what would a man do, you know, in this situation as the hero? But no, it's a female hero. And the audience is kind of subverted to that then in, well, in Alien, isn't it? You know, like, Without going too much on Alien again, because yeah, we, yeah. we did we two and a half episodes. We did a whole episode on it. Go back to it. <laughs> Go back. But yeah, it's, it's that same thing there where when Ripley says, no, we've got to follow the rules, we're going to do this properly by the book, you kind of almost feel like, oh, she's being difficult. Yeah. As opposed to going, she's being intelligent and ordered and logical yeah. and rational. Yeah. So you do get that yeah. expectation. You've got to work that little bit harder to, to stop yourself from going down one track and go, no, 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 this is the, that is the sensible thing to do. Mm. You get distracted by your own baggage. You do. Basically. And so, yes, it's that kind of thing where I'm, I'm trying to get the audience should be a little bit distracted. This should be a talking point. It should not, not a major talking point, not like, oh, wow, you're doing some sort of big... Gender. Yeah, like gender issues thing. But Sorry, rather, the just the point is there'll be some actions this character does where you will have to, ah, that little bit extra. And then mm. you, you, it makes sense that that's a male character doing it. It kind of, okay, I see now. Yeah, so anyway, that's that's that. Mm. Uh, yourself, you, you were working on some like short movies. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, this, the plan is to come. I think being like a lot of people do, it's a bit cliched, start of the year kind of idea. But the the concept I, I did today was to kind of just reinvigorate my creative juices a little bit and to, not that I, I didn't today sit down and like go, oh, this is the map for the year, but I've got that in my head and penciled out. But it's like just, uh, I've spent the last couple of weeks really kind of thinking about what is it that I want to get, like get to, you know, what's the end goal for this year, not yeah. not saying for the next twenty years or anything, but what's the end goal? I think for this year and and um, yeah, and then just starting the year right and being like, yeah, this is what I want to do, and this is where I'm going, and this is how I'm going to do it. So uh, again, it's not like fine tuned to the exact date and and etc. But just trying to think, okay, well, if I want to get to this finish line, 
what needs to start, when, where, how, and you know, how is that going to actually happen? So you and I are doing it with Space Brains. We, we're sort of meeting a bit more and we're going to kind of modify yeah. Space Brains in different ways online and, you know, we've got goals for Space Brains. So it's the same for that for myself mm. in the creative pursuit that, okay, well, I want to do this. You know, it's easy to kind of go, oh, I've got 100 ideas. Yeah, I'm just going to do them. But, like, you've got to start kind of that snowball effect, don't you? have got to pick one of them at least. Yeah, you've got to pick one and actually go, okay, well, then I'll do that by this month and, and do that. So, yeah, that's pretty much where I'm at. It's not specifically sci-fi, although I think the short film, which I've said probably the last couple of times on our podcast, it, it is that one of them is a science fiction. It's a time travel one. So... I've got a feeling that that's going to win the day as the first one of the year. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, so being, I mean, being time travel will be the last one and the first one at the same time. It could be time. the last one and the first one. I'm done. <laughs> Mission accepted. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And it, it's interesting because I'm having this rollout effect from the memory of... I've entered in a bunch of film festivals. First time I've ever done film festivals. Uh, you know, it's been picked, I think, for four. It's had one award. But it's been rejected by about seven now, you know, and so there's still a few more that I entered as the strategy for the 12-month strategy to come over the next couple of months. Um, So that's been a big lesson as well. Yeah, so kind of seeing A, how the festival circuit works, B, what film festivals are kind of like, what they're looking for as well, Um, being that the memory is a sort of more of an adult content, you know, psychological thriller film, so there's been such a huge learning experience from that. So it's, it's kind of like, oh, if you want to go down the film festival path, uh, I've learned a lot about that, you know. And so the, when I go to make a film as well, it's like, what is the end audience of this? Is it film festivals? Is it a calling card? Is it, should it just be online for everyone just to see and you try to promote it that way? Should you do like a local audience? You know, should you do a Patreon page for it? You know, like all of these different things. So I've, now the thing, the real blessing from doing the memory as a film festival circuit is kind of learning about the film festival circuit. Yeah. So all of that is kind of running through my brain for what is the next logical step. Next logical step. For the filmmaking yes. career. <laughs> so, yeah, it'll be great. Whatever the next logical step is, it'll be great. Let's hope so. So we should get into Doomsday. It'd be great to know a little bit more um, from Neil Marshall. So if Neil ends up stumbling across our podcast on a... Yeah. Or more likely he gets tagged in gets every tagged single bit of every social that we ever social do. that I ever put up, me yelling people to what listen to Space Brains. Um, but yeah, it'd be interesting to know what Neil Marshall's intentions were a bit with this film and, and coming out from making a couple of horror films, you know, and then moving into a, a, a movie like this that's quite different. Uh, well, what I think is quite different. You know, he's he's done a couple, directed a couple of episodes of Game of Thrones, for yep. example. Yeah, so, yeah, it'd be interesting um, to talk to Neil about his intentions of this. So maybe after he's listened to the podcast, he'd be keen to have a little chat about that. Uh, or if anyone is out there that uh, played a role on Doomsday and would like to talk to us about it, or even if you watch it and have your opinion on I, Doomsday. I'd be happy if Andy McDowell contacted me to talk about Doomsday. Andy McDowell, yes, of course, Andy, Andy McDowell. Probably more, be, probably more suitable for Malcolm, but... It'd be more suitable for Malcolm, but, you know... Andy, Andy gets a hold of me. Andy gets a hold, which I'll I'm, talk. apparently does. 
Um, so let's get stuck into So it was written and directed by Neil Marshall. came out in 2008, primarily filmed in the UK. Uh, we have Rona Mitra playing... Uh, played... Uh, yeah, played Eden Sinclair, who's our lead uh, act- actor. The one-eyed gun woman. One-eyed, one-gunned, <laughs> flying... Kicking ass, whatever. Killer? I don't know. Yeah. She's a little bit like... Um, Kira Knightley? Kira Knightley, yeah. No, but I was going to say also in terms of character, a little bit more like, um, you know, Underworld. Mila Jovovich is... Well, that's not Underworld. No, Underworld was Kira Knightley. No. No? No, the Underworld is Kate Beckinsale. Oh, Kate Beckinsale. I get Australian these, actress, yeah. I get all these people but mixed kind up. Of reminded, like in the, in, not in the story in terms of well, you know, Rona, Underworld. Rona but, was in uh, Rise of the Lycans, Underworld. Ah, right. Okay. There you As go. Well. well. They kind of had a bit of a similar sort of feel to it uh, in that tough woman that kicks ass. But also, of course, um, what you just said with Mila Djokovic. Jo- jo- yeah, Resident Evil. Resident Evil. So, so you got this really strong female lead who kicks ass. You yes. Know? You know, um, in this sort of underworld. Special mention to Adrian Lester, who played Norton, you know, this old, her sort of co-soldier. Um or colleague, whatever you want to call it. Um, he, he's been in a heap of British TV and movies and stuff like that. Um, Leanne Ligenberg played Viper. Now, she is a stunt woman at slash actress. She's the one that gets her head chopped off. So it's no wonder that fight scene was really good. So she's a stunt woman traditionally. Because um, so... what I was wondering in this film... So they've been there 30 years. Yeah. So a lot of those people there would have been either born in yeah. that time yeah. or were well, very... Well, Eden was a little child, right? Or very little. Like, they yeah. don't really remember before times. So who taught them how to ride motorcycles, shoot guns, and fight with swords? Because they seemed very competent in their martial arts. Yeah. And yet nobody who knew martial arts would have survived. Well, or no, at you least can't say that. Almost nobody. Like, they would have all been... Like, I didn't see any old people there. Mm. No. They, they were all... They, well, they would have died off old people, All, right? all in their mid-30s or, or younger. So, I'm but thinking... But is it just survival of the fittest? Sorry that, you know, you grow up in that world, you, you become a fighter. And you just fight from day one. Yeah, but they were quite stylistic in their fighting. <laughs> Mind you, to, to tell the truth, though, the soldiers did just, like, kick their ass when they actually fought them. Yeah. So maybe they were just thought they were good at fighting or they yes. were good at the fighting they did, yeah. but a trained fighter could actually just defeat them. Yeah. Which is what happened in the, in the castle. But it's kind of, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like all you would need is one reasonably well-trained fighter to kind of pass on how to fight. And then maybe even if they died out, then the people that have learnt that pass that on. Yeah, I mean, and because it was and very it's not important. quite like it's not like they're doing like complete karate kid formal fighting, are they? They're still doing street fighting. It is pretty scrappy, but yeah. I, I did, I just it's one of those things you see, look and go, "Geez, where'd you learn to fight with two swords like that?" You know, that's hard. Yeah, and um, of course, Andy McDowell, Malcolm McDowell, <laughs> <laughs> uh, playing Kane, and Craig Conway played Solomon. Craig Conway, I don't know his sort of background uh, in terms of... I know he's been in a lot of stuff. He must have had a ball playing this character. Eh? He must have just... This is just sheer fun playing this, right? Uh, he was oh, He was just, a classic, he, classic punk bad guy, wasn't punk, he? You're playing Sid from, you know, 
They're sex pistols in an, anarchi- yeah. in an anarchist, you know, cookbook, aren't you? You know, like it's terrific. Okay, we start the film. It is England-Scotland border, June 20, 2008. You've got this mass group of people trying to get across into England. At the same time, the British are like welding a wall shut. The soldiers are standing there. They're trying to keep the peace. This big mob are trying to kind of get in. There's a mother and a daughter. They're kind of saying, come on, let us in, you British twats or something like that. And there's a little bit of hostilities between them, which quickly escalates to quite yeah, when, a violent When skirmish. there's a, an infected person is revealed. That's right. They yeah, see, and he's good, he's got all these pustules. And then the soldier, of course reacts poorly and shoots him yeah. and sprays blood over all the I nearby know, people. And all the nearby people go, oh, well, yeah, okay, that's well, it. thanks, mate. Now it's... I'm really panicked. Yeah. Before, it was just kind of, oh, you can't do this to yeah. us. And now it's like, no, well, we're yeah. going in. And so, yeah, they they rush there and they overthrow these soldiers that are poor left out there. And, but they, they weld the door shut. They do. They lock that's... them out. Um, there's a woman with a young girl which was in there. She kind of like flees the madness a bit. And the girl gets shot, a random, you know, accidentally sort of shot in the eye. Uh, she cops a spray, so to speak. And um, uh, when this sort of helicopter is like, they're trying to get out of Scotland, the British helicopter's getting out, she pleads to take the child. And um, one of the soldiers does a really good moment. He kind of hops off. And so they, they do take the child. I would have thought being trained soldiers, they'd probably just dump the child, probably. I don't really hard know. Hard to tell, hard to tell. <clears throat> I don't um, think they were hardened soldiers. Maybe they like, weren't hardened this enough, isn't, those ones. This isn't like, you know, the depths of Vietnam where yeah. people are so, you know, psychologically scarred by true. the okay, horrors. Yep. Anyway. They're still, you know, domestic. We jump forward in time then to London 2035. Um, but on a little side note, I liked that. I liked such a big jump. You know, I like this. So I kind of was like, oh, okay, world building. You know, we've jumped into another, you know, universe in a way. You know, it's nice. See the outcome. So we get told that um, through the sort of government, uh, I think we get shown some news footage, don't we, in this sort of opening sequence and stuff. And we get told that although the quarantine was deemed a success, um, the method was kind of not seen as very uh, politically okay by the rest of the world. And the UK has kind of been, they call it a pariah state. Yeah, I I think also the fact that they had... The, a big outbreak of the Reaper, it's probably difficult to get access into other countries with a yeah. sort of go, well, you, you, you reckon coming to WA is how we got to quarantine for two weeks <laughs> yeah. at your own expense. Imagine coming from somewhere with the potential Reaper virus. Uh, you know, I, I can only imagine the... Martin McGowan would not allow that. No, no. There'd be Clive Palmer with pustules on his face going, <laughs> oh, you let, let me, me in. Let me in. <laughs> no, but look, you clearly got the Reaper virus. No, it's what I normally look like, you fool. I've been out <laughs> in the sun too long. That's I all. I've been I'm in... just pussy. I've, I've been up in Queensland in the sun too long and, you know, just let me in. <laughs> Eating too much fried food. Um, so, yeah, the UK has kind of collapsed into a bit of a shaky world, a bit of a dystopia, rife with unemployment. There's a bit of civil unrest. Um, and there's extreme economic turmoil. I'm pretty sure we got told a bit of that by voiceover and some images. Yeah, you can sort of see it though too. Yeah. There's, there's people like you can see things it's, have been rough. It's rough. not purely post-apocalyptic, but it is. It's looking a bit rough in yeah. town. And you know, police no longer just they've got the the, the, the police raid helmet on all. The yeah, time yeah, the, the police are not taking chances. No, and so then we cut to these two soldiers, a woman um, who is Sinclair, growing up. 
and uh, and her partner. We figure that out quickly because she takes an eyeball out. Takes an eyeball out. You're like, oh, okay, she must be the little girl. Um, the her and her partner have this oh, brutal, violent shootout. Uh, the the tone of the film changed quite drastically. I thought, yeah, um, because it just became an action packed kind of. Spy thriller. This is an R-rated film. It is, which I thought was an odd choice because this genre and the presentation is very teenage. It is. It is. But and I don't think they. Yeah. I mean, it's the blood and the violence is also a bit cartoonish in many ways. It is. R rating is kind of a bit. I see why, but I mean, my eight-year-old son was watching some of it. He he watched that woman get her head chopped off. Yeah. And he's he's like totally fine with that. Yeah. I think the thing is sometimes a head chopped off. Is so and, extreme and so, because to actually hack someone's head off, like, I mean, okay, you can do it with a samurai sword that's like super sharp, but if you're just got like a normal axe, you've got, to, I think you've got to do a few chops. Right? Yeah, I mean, like, you watch that Fortune like Fire. And, Have you ever watched Fortune Fire? Uh, so, no, but I've seen you know some of these shows like MythBusters and on, and even on other YouTube. Shows, like, on YouTube, you look at Fortune Fire. It's on the History Channel, apparently. Yeah, but it's it's basically sword and weapon smiths. Yeah, yeah. Um, competing, they've got to make like a weapon, and then they test it on. Uh, you know, armor and wood, and they'll, they'll right, have a yeah. pig carcass, yeah, yeah. for example. And yeah, you know, even these these great big swords and stuff. The sharpest, best sort of scene takes still took two Chops. really good yeah. slices to get through, and that was a a pig carcass that wasn't squirming or yeah, anything. It didn't have its guts yeah. in it. It's just. Yeah. But it took two chops to get through the, the spinal cord and so forth. I can't remember which film it is. Maybe it's a horror film, but it's like it's like you know, like the the guy like turns and he like tries to I think he's trying to cut the bad guy's head off or something and he's like cuts it and then the guy moves a bit and then like he cuts him again and then they're really nasty gouges into the person but he can't chop his head off. You know no. what I mean? Like and the guy's then like still sort of half alive and he's like chomping and chomping yeah. away. And he's got like this big sword thing, you know, and it takes about four or five goes to do it. And it felt like I felt like that's realistic for a head being ripped off yeah I you know? so. so i do feel in that whereas but what i was going to say in this opening sequence the shootout between these whatever mercenaries or whatever like there's a naked woman in the bath and she just like sprays the bath yes and it's really cleverly done because it's along the bath so then just blood starts oozing out with the water through the bath you know but i think that's where you get this kind of what i mean by a real brutal shootout it's like a naked woman in the bath, the mercenaries come around the corner, like holding okay, up the we're big knife. About, like, um, you know, upsetting expectations. Naked woman in the bath, you think quite a vulnerable situation. Yeah, yeah. She whips out she a shotgun. She whipped out a shotgun. <laughs> and started going for it. It's not like she was, you know, just having no. a bit of a bath. It's a little bit. Massacre. I suppose when I actually do think about that kind of level of action, um, it's a bit Tarantino, isn't it? Isn't it? It's like this kind of extreme yeah. violent shootout, you know, like. You don't just have a naked woman in the bath. Hell, help me. It's like, no, she's got a machine gun. Yes. So. <laughs> um, so, yeah, anyway, do that. And um, the woman has this bionic eye, which is pretty cool. Like, she throws it on the ground. She can see around the corners. Um, and it helps her end the gunfight as well. Afterwards, she's sitting down, kind of reflecting on the 15 people that she just killed. The um, killing spree. The killing spree again. This is, And it probably, it's kind of suggesting that she does this. Her partner did That's, get his head blown she's off. She's bitter sorry. because she's a handicapped spinster. Oh, yeah, okay. So right. she's bitter. You keep selling that. 
And you just see if that was the pitch to, to <laughs> it wasn't to Netflix. <laughs> and they just go, no, we're not going to do it. We're not going to. We're not buying. <laughs> we're going to buy it. We're going to buy it. We liked what you emailed, and you've come into the room, Neil, with this pitch, and we don't like it anymore. Can you imagine? That? You're, you're pitching the ghost. Okay, so she's just like execute all these bad guys, and she's sitting there. Yes, and she's feeling bitter because she's a handicapped spinster. <laughs> No. Right. right. You had me. <laughs> Later on, she takes out her anger by castrating him. Okay, look, just you're going too far. This, <laughs> yeah. is, this, this is this is ridiculous. Yeah. Okay. Uh, she's she's reflecting um, because this, but I think she is. You did get the feeling that she's not satisfied. She, yeah. she doesn't feel like there, there's something. Satisfied. There's something missing. Like like you know, she's just done this big shoot out and she's she's won the day here apparently but she's not like you know crowing and fist pumping and going yeah yeah boy she's won the battle but she hasn't yeah, won at life you know yeah yeah she's just kind of like this level of excitement this sort of confrontation is just something she's doing to try and get through or something mm. um she could have just tried a therapist i suppose might have been <laughs> better but her boss comes along nelson and he's played by hopkins Lord um, Hopkins here, having another role. Haven't seen him for a while. Hoskins. Hoskins, sorry, not Hopkins. What am I saying? Hopkins. <laughs> so if, Hoskins, if, yeah. if Bob Hopkins Bob, Bob, wants to get in touch about the movie, we'll, we'll, the we'll talk to him again. as well. Andy, these, these Andy are very and English Hopkins. names and we can't even get them right. Andy so. and Hopkins will come along yeah. and they'll go, oh, we weren't in this film. What are you Who's, talking about? <laughs> um, Bob Hoskins. I mean, yes. I have not seen him in a movie for a while. Have no, you? No, no. Yeah. I, I had... I, I still can't actually think. I know I've seen him in several movies, but... Oh, he's been in it. I've got a... Truckload. I've got a click. Oh, who I mean, framed probably, Roger Rabbit? Who, yeah, I was just That's the say, one I... Yeah, I, yeah where he's the, the, the bum detective, as it were. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was in Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> um, anyway, she very clever... He, he asked her about what happened to the partner, and that's what also is cool about this uh, eyeball, is that she kind of can print out a little little disc... Um, version of it, and she hands it over to him. So no, no need to tell him what happened. She just can hand it over to him. At the same time, a group of armed police officers discover several people in a London uh, flat w- infected with the Reaper virus. They were doing a routine kind of, you know, into the squalors. And they came across all these all infected people. Um, so straight away, London kind of goes into a bit of a panic. We cut to the Prime Minister and his you know, dodgy sidekick. They're talking about, well, if we lock off the canals, you know, I didn't quite, I didn't quite get it. They don't give us a huge graphic of it, but we can cut off the sewerage system. Then effectively we can save everyone sort of outside of that. Um, and and uh, good old Hopkins, Hoskins, <laughs> uh, Nelson uh, sort of speaks up as the head of police sort of saying, well, you know, you're going to kill you're basically allowing four million people to die, and they're like, "Well, yeah, well, the, for the everyone else would be better." Again, and it, it makes a lot of sense because it's what they did to the Scottish people. So it's kind of like, "Well, the plan hasn't changed. Uh, Just keep locking people off in." It's the East End, you know. Yeah, they haven't had any good plays come here in no. ages. Just cut them off. Do it. Um, so, so they, you know, it's not looking very good. Um, the Prime Minister then, uh, Hatcher, kind of uh, takes uh, Hoskins into a secret room or his office or whatever, and he, he says to him, well, um, we have these images. So this whole time we've been taking images of Scotland. 
uh, and you know it's showing us nothing as to be expected. And then a couple of years ago, we noticed people. Yes, there are people walking. There's around. people walking around Glasgow, and uh, you can tell because of the bagpipes and kilts. <laughs> Uh, they're just little dots on the pictures, but they can tell that they were people. So they're like, well, if these people survived, they may have the cure. Yes, because there was a Dr. Kane who was yeah. working. He was like the top research scientist on the Reaper virus, and he got caught north of the wall. He did. So if there are people walking around, they, they go, well, maybe he found some way of protecting people or cure. People or maybe he found a, a cure after we, we have shut them off. precious few cures to yeah. viruses. Yes. Uh, usually we have treatments which allow people to outlive the virus yep. until our immune system kills it or just keeps the virus in sort of a remission state. Mm. So, for example, AIDS used to be very deadly. It would progress to... Sorry, HIV used to be very deadly. It would progress to AIDS yep. and then people would die of whatever f- came along and infected them, basically, because yeah. uh, you, you lose your immune system. Mm. But there's been antiretroviral agents which haven't cured anyone but they've they've meant that you know people who got aids 20 years ago uh sorry hiv 20 years ago i'll get this around the right way hiv is the virus yeah have not developed aids yeah because they just take these drugs and the drugs used to be very expensive now they're more affordable so it used to be that hiv was a death sentence but now it's kind of a, a manageable disease yeah uh not great but yeah. but you can get by and the Reaper, and, and so we don't really have cures for viruses. No, but it's very good movie talk, like cure. Yes, cure, you cure know, so always. Sounds good. But, sounds but good. I'll just put another but on this little asterisk before we go any further. That's what this doctor said about reviewing these pandemic movies. And it's just made me think about this, is that he says, and COVID's a good proof of it, he goes, whenever there's a pandemic across the globe, it's never just one lab in one country that, yeah. that works on lab. it. Yeah. It's global. It's a global effort. Like yeah. There's all these different labs all over the world sharing information with each other, trying to come up with different ways of treating it. And actually, now that I, I, didn't, I read that article since watching this movie, and it's funny to think that they're like, oh, this Dr. Kane was the best researcher ever. He might have figured out... What else have you been doing? Yeah, what about so all these other scientists? For 30 you know? years, you've, no done, you've just gone, oh, it's contained. Yeah, it's contained and no one's worked on a cure across the whole world. Because yeah. can't you imagine? Cause, cause again, the motivation there is also money. Like if someone comes up with a vaccine, governments all over the world will pay for it, right? Oh, yeah. You'd, yeah. you'd want a vaccine like on the, the Reaper virus. You'd want yeah. a vaccine This would be something you'd spend billions on. Yeah, particularly because really even when you're just talking about your police and your soldiers. Yeah, yeah. If you... If your soldiers, and because they're on the top of the list, you know, the, the mm. Russians are already gone injecting their soldiers with experimental vaccines. Because yeah. if, if there's some sort of conflict or problem, yeah. yeah, you don't want your soldiers out of action. No. Because they're, and your police, because they're the ones who will be able to restore order, maintain order, defend yeah. borders, enforce quarantines. Quarantines and stuff. And yeah. so forth. So, yeah. yes, you would think that even if you thought, Yes. The Reaper virus was done. Okay, you've quarantined it, but then you've still got to work on it. Yeah, you would, you would definitely come up with a way of stopping it. <laughs> um, so N- Nelson, so they want to send in a team. Nelson chooses his top uh, police officer, and of course that's Sinclair. Um, so she's going to lead a mission into or across the Scottish border. Um, now, personally, she's got a bit of a mission, which is maybe that her mother has survived, so she wants to go ahead with that. Because she's still got that little 
envelope which yeah. mum gave to the soldiers that here so she remembers. Yes. So she's got the envelope. She's looking at this, and she, and and I'm pretty sure that's why her boss, oh let's call him Hopkins. <laughs> Sorry, Bobby. Uh, that's I should why, have called him Hopkins. That that, I'm pretty sure him. that's why he chose her. Not she's really good. Yes. Yeah. But also. She's, she has a personal reason to... He doesn't have to convince her too hard to go there. Yeah. Whereas you can imagine trying to convince someone else, yeah, you're going into Scotland to save people. Or I could just not because <laughs> it's deadly in there. Yeah, like, that's right. Yeah, so... Um, so Sinclair's team, there's a couple of soldiers um, and there's these two doctors that what we're just talking about are like, we tried everything. <laughs> <laughs> we tried everything, but the damn thing doesn't just... We just can't come up with a cure, sorry. No. I tried everything. I tried everything. We're, we're not the top researcher on this topic. No. Dr. Kane was the top. And, and Dr. Kane didn't use the internet or no. share. Well, he all. didn't. He was shut off from the internet. I mean, isn't that another interesting point, actually? I'm not, I'm not trying to talk this down. You could lock them behind the border, but maybe give them internet so you can still talk to them. Yeah, you'd would think there be any harm in that? cell phones would still operate. Yeah. Certainly near the wall, even if all the cell towers in Scotland... Like stopped working, stopped working for some because reason. they well, no one was operating. If you walked, no power. yeah, within you know, onto a hill <laughs> facing the wall, you'd be able to get bars. And... But anyway, but this was filmed in, and and this is one of those things at the yeah, time. Two thousand eight, people still. We certainly phones. had plenty of internet. Yeah. But two thousand eight, it wasn't the beast it is today. No, there weren't trillion, literally trillion dollar companies based on the internet. Uh, so that's an interesting little time warp there. So their mission is to head to Glasgow where Dr. Kane's last known location is. Um, they head along the broken road. They come across a whole bunch of cows. Oh, they've got a time clock as well, 48 hours. 48 hours. Or that's the end of it. Yep. Uh, because London will just, with being infected now, it'll be, everyone will be dead in London. Um, so that's the time clock. Uh, so they're heading to Dr. Kane's last known location in Glasgow. It's a hospital. Um, and they find, you know, it's an eerie, the roads are all worn down, there's grass growing up, there's cows loose everywhere. Um, as they get closer to the town, there's, you know, broken signs, there's no lighting. Uh, and then they come into Glasgow and it's, you know, it's, it's pretty cool, isn't it? How it's it just, like overgrown. It doesn't look like anything's changed in the 30 years. <laughs> I, don't I don't know. know. Any of you Glaswegians listening, I'm sorry. I, I love never, Edinburgh. That was sorry. That said that I've never me. been there. I've never been there. I love Edinburgh and I think uh, I've never, I never went to Glasgow, but I'd imagine it's, it's similar in that. It's a probably you're, you're, really you're, That's fighting words. You'll get an axe thrown you for that. <laughs> that's like saying, oh, yeah, I haven't, I've been to New like Zealand. Fremantle and Perth are the same. I've been to New Zealand. It must be pretty similar to Australia. Yeah. Um, so they go into the hospital. I'm <laughs> just trying to think where we were. Um, and Sinclair and two team are um, ang- a- ambushed by this group of punks. Punks, yep. And uh, Sergeant Norton and Dr. Sterling uh, manage to escape uh, while the team then suffers really heavy casualties. They have this whole sort of, as you said earlier, you know, this girl rocks up. Um, he goes outside to kind of save her, but you know he pulls her in, disinfects her or seals her up, but then she's got a knife, so she stabs him. Um, as they're all chasing around the hospital, Sinclair, the only way to get him out, kind of shoots the elevator and uses that foam. Um, there's a big 
chase That's scene right. between the when they get in the what are those vans called? The APC. APCs. They get in them. They're, they're they made along. them specifically for the movie. Yeah, they well, they, they wanted to buy uh, old ones like, yeah. like uh, refit ex-military stuff. They found it was actually cheaper to make their own. Cheaper to make their own. Why not? Um, well, because you don't actually need all the military gear. No, they, they look like it. <laughs> it's just oh, it, yeah. it was armor plated and had gla- yeah. bulletproof glass, but. Having said that, it had none of the fancy. Like, it didn't have any, you know, NBC ceiling and no. um, computers and radar. It doesn't need any of that, like. does it? It's a movie, sorry. It's a movie! But I just found it interesting. It was cheaper <laughs> to make their own yep. than it was to buy X, you know, used ones. Yeah. It is. You could... You Having could said that, they then went and bought three Bentleys to yeah. smash up. So, had a pretty good budget, this, eh? That's had a decent budget. Um, so anyway, uh, they have this great chase scene. All these punks just—they sort of never, you know—they're mowing them down with their machine guns and stuff. But it just seems like a never-ending horde. Yeah, I was kind of thinking, geez, did anyone actually die? Or was, well, they, they did, but they're just being picked up by the farm. It's called farming. Farming. We're going out for a harvest now. Chase the guys with guns. Yes. And then, like, yeah, the the, the farmers come along afterwards and harvest the yeah the bodies. Either the people they catch with the guns or the people the guns. Okay, fair sure. enough. Um, so, yeah, they are cap- ca- captured. Uh, we introduce then when Sinclair kind of comes to to this mental leader called Sol. Uh, he's interrogating her about Kane and where where's... Is it about what Kane is up to? Yeah, where to get yeah. to? Where's he up to? What's he up to? What's his plans of attack? Um, and he's pretty brutal. He's He's... He's brutal against her, but he's also barking mad, basically. Like, there doesn't seem to be a lot of logic to how he's... No, he's, he's fairly sort of out of control. Yeah, yeah. He's kind of into her a bit, and then he, like, punches her, and then he's kind of desperate for information, and he kind of, like, licks her, and he's just... It's a, it's a mad interrogation. It's not made by anyone with any sort of... Okay, well, first I'll just start with, you know, a, a little tickle, and then if you give me an answer, that's fine. <laughs> Uh, then I'll step it up to you Pop know a punch toes, or you know I might then I might then break a toe or a nipple finger. Cripple. <laughs> cripple. Ah! Okay, then we're going to get to the bit where I'll put you in some water and we'll bring you in some electricity and just give you a little charge and you know and then we'll then we'll tie you up and I'll I, start beating you. I think I think maybe, maybe you've been. thought a little yeah, bit too much about this process. <laughs> of course I've thought about a, it. It's what it's I get a up typical to on the weekend. Saturday night at the Regan house. <laughs> that's just a, that's just what we do in the bedroom to begin with. Sorry, let alone you know. The uh, interrogation. That's, that's what people are like. <laughs> that's, that's right. That's the kind of things that people like here. I want. I want to get Sinclair interested here. Um, so anyway, so that's what Sol was doing. He then leaves her um, because he believes Kane's. Oh no! He realizes that he can use her to get across the border. Yes. Right. That's right. So that's that was the plot point. So he kind of he realizes that she could be his way. No one's ever been able to get past the big machine guns at the border crossing. Yeah, because they just Whereas harvest. They'll, they'll, they'll harvest have to people. let you across. And so with that, he leaves happy. He doesn't want her hurt. And he goes out and does this amazing... This scene, I was just kind of grinning. You talk about teenage Surrey yes. smiling with the head chopping. This whole sequence of soul coming out and all the cannibals celebrating... The traditional, the irony and the song choice, the traditional kind of weird Scottish dance routine yeah. that happened as well with the men and the kilts, and and then and then the uh, bringing out the soldier to barbecue. Yeah, they they roast him, don't they? They roast him. 
Yes. And this, see, this whole thing, like I've watched Mad Max a few times and, and we probably have to do Mad Max as a classic, I think, one day. But like, like it's the same in Mad Max. There's this intense insanity to the villains in Mad Max, uh, the original Mad Max I'm talking about, that is just so bizarre. And it's so kind of like beautiful on screen in a movie to have like these characters that are like, you know, it's quite often in a bad guy. It's like, well, yeah, Hans wants to blow up the building to make a statement to get the money, and you know, all that kind. Of, you know, it's like it's always like the motive like that. But you get characters in these anaconic, um, anaconic, anaconic. Can't talk tonight. In these post-apocalyptic world, yes, or use a totally different world. Like that, they're like they're just crazy, aren't they? It's just cray cray. There's no, the motivation is not the same as we expect from. No, he's, he's just trying to hold it together. Yeah, and he has his song and dance, which is great. They barbecue oh. the guy, and and they, it's very gruesome where we see them carving yeah. into the flesh, which is quite. Yeah, that is a distinct choice that Neil has made yeah. to try and turn people's stomach. Yes, it's like okay, here's an opportunity. They could have just had. Uh, off-screen death as fire yeah. brought up and then left and the imagination. Chewing, even just chewing, you know, like just chewing something. Someone later on, yeah, having you know, a bit of meat to eat. Toothpick. <laughs> yeah. But no, yeah. Well, that, well, that's a classic one, isn't it, where yeah. the guy like picks his teeth and goes, had your friends over for dinner, yeah. you know, type of thing. Like, you don't really see anything, but no, yeah. this is like, they're, they're brutally carved. After he's there. burnt, they like, yeah. Slice, you know, slice and dice. He comes back, uh, chucks down a lump of meat for... Who does Sol chuck down a lump of meat for Sinclair? I can't remember who's chucks it down. Oh, yeah, I just remember no. a lump of meat landing in front of her. No, it's one of the other two that she kills, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it's that guy. Because I think you know Sol kind of turned no, up there because she it. busts out and starts kicking ass. So, which is what she does. Yep. Surprisingly enough, she tricks him. She tricks him, kicks, you know, a bit of bottom. Uh, ends up having a sword fight. Well, meets this girl locked up. He says, hey, save me, save me. Kelly, yeah. And Kelly why should I trust you? I don't know why she talk like this. But <laughs> I don't, don't know why. She's yeah. only Russian. But yeah, she, why should I trust you? He says, oh, I can yeah, I can help you find Cain. And how would you know where Cain is? I should. He's my father. Oh. Dun, dun, dun. So... Then she great, yeah, so then she helps her and then she has this big fight with Viper, cuts the head off, throws the head, which is great. <laughs> yeah, she chucks the uh, sword at the guy and yeah, it's it's a wonderful little fight. It is. Uh, and then there's like, you know, cue the... Um, chase sequence. The chase sequence, yeah. yeah. As, well, they run off without a lot of chase, take her yeah. down into the, the underground where a dude with a bow, which is kind of... Surprising because obviously all those punks just had like clubs and mm. sword type things. And this dude is, yeah, he's wearing the rustic peasant stuff and he's got a bow. So it's very traditional British in that sense. Yeah, he, he, yeah, he looked like a freedom fighter yeah, from the, the sort of 14th century or something, right? Yeah, like, and they <coughs> grab her along and, and, and she communicates with her buddies and says, Hey, yep. guys. Meet me at the train station. Who's, yeah, is that Miller and Cooper? I, Norton and Sterling. Yeah, yeah, meet me at the station. Yep. And it's a steam train. Yeah. That's really cool. That's nice. It makes sense because it can't be, you know, can't be it could have been a diesel, I suppose. Yeah. Like, why not? But I a steam, steam train yeah. is good because you've got water and you've got yeah. coal in abundance. It's yeah. not a problem. 
Uh, yeah, and so here we here we have this tense chase scene where I was pretty certain that Sterling's going to die any mm. moment. Like he's he's running, running. He's, he's the one not who trips over. Enough. And there's a guy also on a motorbike, motorbike that comes coming up, up and then him. then Sinclair jumps off the train and whacks him, <laughs> screaming "Horde of Soul!" And he's yeah, they're all know, come they're all coming mad over there. The the motorcycle sort of bumps in the thing and cracks his neck off, and <laughs> you know, and this it's it's a madcap sort of race. They're, they're running up the platform and I. I was expecting Sterling's going to die. He's got to do yeah. that, right? But no. Sinclair. Uh, Sinclair jumps off, knocks it, and manages to get him out, and then Sinclair just gets in. And I love it. Sterling jumps in and bumps into uh, Callie. Callie. And they, f- <laughs> they have a moment, don't this, they? They have a this, typical moment. This is like one of the biggest movie cliches yeah. in the universe. They bump into each other, fall to the ground, and they one on top of the other yeah. looking. <gasps> oh, hello. Oh, it's, I had a, I had a chuckle. Yeah, because I do not doubt, having watched the other the rest of this movie up to this point, Neil fully well knew that yeah. that was a, a that was the movie shortcut to saying they're now interested in each other. Yeah, oh, it is. It's totally is. like as if having some lump land on you. Or, or crashing into some woman, you go, oh shit, sorry, man. Well, I know that's like, exactly. Right. As opposed like, to how, someone going, oh, how, how many times I in never your life, noticed how beautiful you were? <laughs> yeah, how many times in your life do you bump into someone, right? Like, just I'm just talking total random stranger, the shops on a train, even at a music concert, right? Like, how many times do you bump into someone and you are then like, oh, oh, sorry, oh, and that's pretty much it. Yeah, I don't think. Like you, you, and and you've seen other people bump into each other, so it's not just like me. I don't have any romance to me, but it's like you literally like how many people bump into each other and then it's like instant romance. Yeah, they look at each other and go like because oh, of the bump, you know. Like, hello. wouldn't you just like done the same thing? Even like if I was at the shops pulling the dog food into the shopping cart and you're pulling the cat, and you're like, oh hi, how you doing? Like, wouldn't that be the exact same attraction? Then. Bang! Oh, yeah. well, we're banged once. We might as well just take our clothes off and Let's bang keep again. going. <laughs> but there you go. So, so there goes. So suddenly we now anyway. know that there's a thing between the two of them. It has it's to like be. saying the cure, right? There's a drama point there. There's a speeding up of the act. Yeah, it's just let's get stuck in let's it. Let's get stuck in it. Those two, Kelly and uh, Sterling, are up for. Is it Sterling or Norton? Sterling. Sterling. Sterling is here. Yeah. Um, and Soul and his... See, again, these kind of mad people, right? What does he do, right? Because he's lost the battle. He turns and, like, just bam. He does a scream like, and then, like, punches, punches that dude out. Punches, like, you know, one of his men. Apparently, does on the second take of that, the guy actually got his nose broken. It doesn't, so. it doesn't surprise me. I know, I know Soul uh, loved doing this role. Like, you just get into this role, wouldn't you? Soul. The actor who plays Saul. The actor who plays Saul. Yeah, yeah, no, actually, they, they lost a few cameramen whilst they were trying to get into Glasgow because yeah. those punks are hard to deal with. They, they are. They like killing anyone. Sound designer died. They, they kept the makeup artists. Yeah, they love Apparently, them. Apparently, they need more of those. Get that coal around Saul's eyes doesn't do itself. <laughs> um, and on the train, uh, Callie reveals that not only is she Kane's daughter, but Saul is actually her brother. Yes. So there's a big dun dun dun. So um, yeah, this and whole he basically left because he was unhappy with Kane's rule, um, and so he took off and made his own little punk world. Punk world, yes. <laughs> he didn't like Robin Hood Land, which you can go to Punk World for 19.95 adult tickets. They're on special at the moment due to the pandemic. 
Yes. Um, please bring lunch. Yeah. <laughs> oh, as your lunch. <laughs> yeah. Get, yeah. <laughs> oh, please bring a sacrifice for lunch. You just have to be faster than the next slowest yeah. guy. Meanwhile, they cut back to London and this is where we get this, like, we left London and people were a bit infected, right? And we come back to London and maybe this is what you said at the start, that if things were this extremity, you would just build a freaking wall and <laughs> lock people out. I think maybe you'd nuke them, right? Um, like cockroaches, because we, when we cut back to London now, it's not like there's a threat of people breaking into Parliament House. People are like, and they're all pussy and like vomiting mm, on vomiting. the street. And I'm like... Wouldn't you go home? Like, wouldn't you go back to your bedroom? I know. Like, yeah, the whole like, please stay at home thing. You go, yes, yes I'm locking I'm, the doors. I'm locking every single door. I'm, I'm shutting not, the windows. I'm not I'm going like, out there. I'm gaffer like... tape in the windows, I think. Like, yeah. I, I don't want to even look out my window, you know? Even if I was the sick one, like, I'd be like, I want to, like, I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. I, mean, and I don't want to die on the street. I, I would definitely be carrying my own hand sanitizer, not relying <laughs> on the stuff at the shops. That's right. Um, and so there's this sort of whole outbreak. There's also, of course, emotional outbursts related to the Reaper virus. People seem to be... <laughs> I always love this because it always reminds me of The Simpsons. This is why The Simpsons get it so right, don't they? It's like mob mob violence. Like It's like as soon as there's any fear in a big mob, there's like, ah! the windows. Which, you know, England's used to. They have a soccer match. They can't even handle the results of a soccer match, can they? They no, kick over cars it. and set them on fire and stuff. And that's, so. it, that's if your team wins. That's if your team wins, right? let alone when, what happens when you lose. Um, so there's this sort of whole thing going on. And um, there's a nice moment there that they're shutting the big doors to the parliament house or government house or whatever. Um, and as the soldier does that, there's actually an infected man behind him. Yeah, managed to I, get in. I, I thought that was really cool because it was just done really nicely that, you know, it's like lock the door, security person, you know, scan the hand or whatever it was. Yeah. And then there's just this crazy eye infected man behind him. you know, With an axe. With an axe. Um, and he, he kills him and has to chop off his hand, which is nice and gruesome and, uh, and to get up to the next scan. level. Eyeball scan, you know, to get into the lift. Um, and there's also a nice bit of tension there that when uh, uh, Hoskins or Nelson hops off the elevator, that this other guy is also hopping off the other elevator mm. at the same time. Um, and when he's running to kind of infect the Prime Minister, they're shutting the door. Um, he actually blows, you know, shoots him. And um, he explodes in he blood. Explodes in blood, and unfortunately, the prime minister is looking at this sort of violent scene unfold, and the doors don't shut in time, and so he gets a spray right across his face, and he licks it. Licks it. Uh, <laughs> uh, and then he he's, he's a little bit upset by this, uh, understandably, and he wanders into his office where he has he's a bit forcefully removed i think into his office by the others well yeah he was asked uh, he went voluntarily because i yeah. think he's like oh well yeah. okay he pulls out some reason he's got a revolver in there they always do it's just like for just such an occasion i don't yeah. know why he has like a full set of bullets he's just had one uh yeah and he he bites bites down the end of that gun i think that that theory is what we all we all would like our politicians just that full gun in It's unfortunate they don't do it quickly enough or often no, enough. No, they don't, do they? Yeah, like... So yeah. anyway, we cut back to, after leaving the train, Sinclair's group, this is, as you said, it suddenly now changes into Robin Hood. 
and we're out. Well, they go, um, they go through the portal, the magic portal, which is the, magic portal, the, the old military archive, tunnel. Some archive. It says, it's, yeah. I can't remember what it was called, but something or the archive, and they, they go through, they pick up torches, like burning, flaming things. Mm. Although the two soldiers have actually got flashlights. Yeah. But they still go through, and you can't see much. There's boxes, and they go, oh, is the, raid of, is the lost ark down here? You know, yeah. And they go through, and then they pop out from you know, the post-apocalyptic landscape yeah. into verdant green valley with a mm. river running down it and there's trees everywhere. Suddenly we're in Robin Hood land. Yeah. And it was a, it was a nice usage of that tunnel. tunnel. Yeah. It was. It's basically the magic portal between mm. the two worlds. Yeah. And you could feel the difference because on one side it was sort of like a, like a rock quarry look. Yeah. And on the other side it was all greenery and, and water mm. and yeah. trees. And yeah, sure enough, they, they start walking along there and they hear the hoof beats. <laughs> we sort of sound a bit like a heartbeat. Yeah. And what's that? Oh, that's Telomir or Telamon, the king's executioner. Yes. Which I thought, well, that sounds a bit odd. I mean, you've got guns. Mm. And they, they run for it and they're like, and Sinclair says, nope, give me a gun. And, and Norton says, yeah, okay. And they stand there. I was all like, yeah, well, when you just blind, why, why wouldn't you just stand there and wait? And sure enough, some knight, a little bit. Apocalyptic night. Yeah. I mean, it's a bit scrappy looking, but it's recognizably a knight with a lance on a big horse rides up and holds her at spear point. Yeah. The other guys ran for it and the archer dude gets shot. Yeah. They're just oh stabbed or shot with an arrow or something. Yeah, I think it's an arrow. Yeah. I think that was just a convenient way of sort of showing that these guys are a bit serious and yeah. also to remove any possible love interest for Callie. Yeah. Because she bumped into Sinclair, so you yeah. know. You can't Take have him out. you can't yeah. have like Robin Hood getting in the way of these things. Nah. So they get captured. Short story, and they get taken to this castle. And we get this nice outside establishing shot of the castle, yeah. and there's like a knight with a a lance there. Yeah. It's, it's all and the color tones of everything have gone from that blues and greys and concretes and dark and smoke mm. to being these sort of browns and greens and and stony sort they of have, yeah. lichen coloured and. Everyone's wearing their in period costume. Yep, all, which is which is great. And they're bought into it the, like the, the punks. The great thing is that the the sheriff Nottingham, let's call him, <laughs> steps out, and clearly behind him, it says gift shop. It does pointing, it and does. I, I love that detail because it would have been easy to have just erase yeah, to get that, rid of that. Yep, pull it yep. off the wall while they're different. Yep. But they're still pointing out that this is not a real. No, yeah, this is. A leftover castle. This it used is. to be a tourist attraction. Tourist attraction, yeah, yeah. And it still says gift shop, and you yeah. know, I love, I love that little detail there. I that did. They too. left it there, and that would have been, you know, that was an intentional choice. Definitely. During the editing, they could have easily just take, removed it in post. Yep. Or just covered it up during, yep. you know, because because you got to do your framing. You got to go. Okay, we're going to do a shot from here. He's yeah, standing yeah. over there. Look through the camera. What are we going to see? Oh, oh a gift, gift shop. shop. Yeah, leave mm. it. Leave it. That's fine. Yes, nice. May have even put it there on purpose. But anyway, it comes out the gift shop and, and takes in Sinclair. The um the, the other guys get taken away and put put in prison and you know, they're not treated too well. And Sinclair is, is brought in and speaks with uh Kane, Marcus Kane, yeah. McDowell. And who explains <laughs> you know, basically he's enjoying being king. Yeah. And he's you know, and I can see this is a less brutal society than Glasgow. I think maybe you could have brought some modern concepts in to allow slightly better equality and, and welfare yeah. and yeah, you know, so so on and so forth. But well, he was a bit he was a bit down that he got locked out way. The, the British locked him out. 
Yes. Yeah, that's where he was most pissed off, that his family got left behind. I think maybe there was some sort of deal that they would have been taken and he was surprised that he was left behind yeah. by the British and, and it, it just sent him a little bit into this sadistic kind of point of view of, all oh, no, stuff here. Yeah. Um, and he does talk to her about survival of the fittest and we are the fittest, so screw you, you know, like yeah. you guys can have the virus and whoever comes out on Well, see, end. this is, as they say, herd immunity. Yep. Get enough people have it and they've either had it and survived mm-hmm. or they're just not susceptible to it. That's right. Because And that's the same case with the um, COVID-19 yeah. is some people, some people will don't seem be... to be susceptible to it. They, yeah. eat, they, they, they carry it, but uh, it doesn't do anything. Yeah. They pass it on, but it doesn't do anything to them. And so, some people, of course, a lot of people, most people really yeah. come out the other end. But in the Reaper virus case, I would suggest not many people came out the other end. Mm. But you would have had still some. Yeah. Like it's no... There is no virus that's a hundred percent fatal. Well, even if you take the numbers, there's there's a lot of punks that got mowed down in that. But I mean, like, yeah, I mean, you're talking about a population of millions of people, and yet maybe it's just a few hundred. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah for for sure. Even a thousand, I man, it's a pretty. Long and, and after thirty years, uh, it probably initially you would have had a lot of people dying from. Yeah, you know, if you're diabetic, for example, yeah. well, where you get your insulin from, unless that's you know right. how to milk a sheep for insulin you're kind of out of luck and you know you get yourself a bit of pneumonia unless you know how to grow some penicillin Mm. out of luck yep and there's a lot of as well a lot of that sort of thing you're trying to farm corn and you stab yourself in the foot yeah you bleed to death tetanus yeah uh particularly because yeah if you're born in that 30 years you'd be growing up without vaccines yeah vaccines. so tetanus measles all that yeah could take you out whatever Else, you know, mumps. <laughs> mumps. Just the common flu. Meningitis. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Flu and so forth. So anyway, the... Uh, yeah. Kane sentences Sinclair and her group to death. Yeah. But it's, and, it's trial by combat because you've got you to give the course, people what they want to see. You've got to give that Telemann character a real shot at fighting Sinclair because he's about five times her size. Yeah. And, and I think and this is also the case where old uh, McDowell, he's been telling everyone... There's no one, like, there's nothing on yeah, the outside there. That's right. Yeah. And so he's got to show that, well, okay, there are these people, but look at them. They're just yeah. weak and useless. We are much better off. And so they have the fight, and out, and out pops. And it's this wonderful uh, arena with a, the yeah. rocky ground, and it's, it's really authentic looking. Yeah, it is. I don't doubt it's actually a real castle yeah, with a bit of a real castle, yeah. bit there. And out wanders Telemon. We never get to see him outside of his armor. Yep. Uh, his arm is really cool and scrappy, but still kind of a- effective looking. Yep. And I would suspect that this is a fellow who has never really learned how to fight. Yeah. And let's face it, when you're wearing Sissy that much size. armor and you're that big and you've got the weapons, you probably don't have to fight that well. No. <laughs> because... It's sheer force, isn't it? I mean, in, in all these movies, they, they do like to show, you know, these people fighting in armor and they go slice, slice, and the person dies. Yeah. Despite wearing plate mail armor but yeah again get yourself on a youtube and look at some people doing armor tests yeah and so forth and yeah you're wearing that armor it takes a fair bit to take you out like it's yeah. it really is tank like yeah. even the things like that hammer she had i've seen you know have real trouble piercing that stuff yeah but she does she she fights him and kicks him a bit because she's a well-trained soldier yeah he's very big though so he's not going down easily no uh, that's not a problem because she climbs up and pulls some dude off the wall, yeah, grabs right. his hammer, uh, dodges out of the way as the 
as, as Telemon swings his morning star down and it crashes the guy's head. Yeah. And again, we get a, a little touch of gore there. As we his, do. His head collapses like a melon. <laughs> so it's satisfying. And then she smacks away at his legs, knocks him down. And this is a, a somewhat American touch, I think, because he's down. And rather than just finishing the job, which I would have done personally, he's like, freaking, yes, I'm not. What's his honor thing? Like, you in a real battle, this guy will kill you at the first chance he gets. He's yeah. been trying to kill you. Yeah. Yeah, so you've knocked him down. You want to make sure he's staying down. Yes. But in Hollywood uh, movie language, the hero can't kill an enemy can't that's murder. down. Yeah, you can't murder someone. You can't kill someone when they're down. No. Okay, I'll... I'll Accept that as a bit of a conceit, but because it's not that sort of movie where it's purely ruthless. And so, yeah. of course, she turns around and starts looking for a way out. Yeah, and he rises and goes to get out, and then she spins around and clocks him in the head, and yeah. blood comes out, and he falls down. So, you know, her honor was spared because he was coming at her. Yep. And then it's just like, okay, well, shoot her then. Yeah. Because, yeah, you know, great, you've, you've beat my soldier, but you know, I've, I've got this dude with an arrow who's going to shoot you. Yeah. Luckily, at that moment, out pops... Norton. Norton, because they've, they've just gone and killed their way out of some people. Because, yeah. again, as I said, Norton, and he's a trained, yeah, a we highly keep trained him, specialist soldier. He's him not, in particular, he keeps doing things that are quite, you know, advanced military, yeah, right, I he's, think, yeah. He's, he's not some numpty who's no. just self-taught over 30 years of being in a no. medieval castle. He knows how to escape. He actually know. knows how to do his thing. Use so he weapons. does. And then he gets a gun. Yeah. And so... He uses that effectively. He uses it, shoots at <laughs> the other. And then there's like um, explosions. I assume that's his grenades because they've yes. gone and found the grenades. And uh, they affect and escape. And they run and run. And run. You get back to the... Um, the magical, the magical tunnel, tunnel yep. which is the, the archives. They they get themselves in there and they she immediately goes and picks up the manifest. Yes. And they Start crack scanning open. scanning what they've got in there. Yeah, they crack open the Bentley. There's yep. a thing with the Bentley there, which I'm going, what was this archive? Like, that's a bit weird. And... Yeah, but like when she, you know, remember she she's looking at it and... Um... I mean, it was good when they were, walked through it the first time. She sort of took note. And it yeah. seemed like Kelly and the other guy, they were like, oh, it must have been some sort of military bunker. You know, we just use it to quickly get through the mountain. And it's like, oh, you guys have never thought about what's actually in here? No, like you've never really opened a box? Well, maybe they did because <laughs> but, yeah. she went and found the cell phones. Yeah. So she opened a box and it was a crate packed full of cell phones. Cell phones. And I suppose that's the thing. If you opened that box, you'd be like, oh, this is... Well, also, Callie's not 30 years old. No. So maybe maybe People she opened a stuff. box and it was a box of uh, AAA batteries. Yeah. You know, AA batteries. And no, you like go, what, we what, do we what, do this? what the hell is yeah. a AA battery? Yes, that's true. Uh, yeah. You know, or, or it could be something else. And she does equally. do that with a car, right? She's like, what is this? Yeah. You know, like she doesn't know what a car is. Yeah, she's like, that looks really cool, but. I've been living in a castle with a guy playing king. So, you know. Um, so they get out the Bentley, they fuel her up, and um, at the same time, Kane's media, uh, medieval knights all arrive. Um, and this is where there's a little bit of a sad scene that Norton gets oh, the... Poor Norton. He keeps getting... They keep getting him in the back. But, all you know, 
You can but only he have, did it so that they could survive. You can only have so many people reach the end. Yes. Uh, it, it's sort of a rule of action movies. Get to the chopper. Get to the chopper. You can only have the hero. Yeah. And maybe one, and in this case, two others mm. escaped. Uh, because they were a couple. Yeah. And so, yeah, so they, they jump in the in the car and get to the the blast doors which lead out yep norton does his hot wiring he smashes some sparks it's always very exciting you know he could have just pressed a button and had nah, it go but had to spark pull the wire sparks come out bad guys come out he goes running cops an arrow in his leg he starts hobbling on cops yeah. in his shoulder and he's like trying a bit harder get to the bentley get to the bentley <laughs> norton norton get to the bentley we're ready to go you son of a bitch so so sinclair yeah it's like they, they do that whole... That's what Sinclair was saying. This is what heroes so, do. Is, is they, they, they look at each other and there's that moment, that recognition like, comes like, oh, okay, it's I, not going to happen. I said, yeah, you go ahead. Yeah, there's like... An I un, might as well take An unspoken, it. initially she's like, yeah, get moving, get moving. He, he takes that second or third arrow and he's yeah. down on his knees and they look at each other and she goes, okay. Yeah, it's better for me to go. And Norton says, I was about to say, wait a moment. (laughs) This this can be rectified in surgery. (laughs) Shoot them? Why didn't you look for the guns first and when they came in, just like mow them down in a car? Okay, whatever. Yeah. (laughs) And jump in the Bentley and here we get this this lovely James Bond chase along the cliff faces and the ex-police car. Yeah, that was great. Wasn't it great that they, see, this is a little tongue-in-cheek. Yes. They come around a corner, banging it, and there's a speed check. Yes. As it slow down. Slow and down. then and then it's like woo, 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 woo. Yes. <laughs> and this little cop car comes chasing. And at first, the way it's been shot is it's kind of a nice wide shot and it just looks like a cop car. Yeah. So you're thinking, hang on a minute, where are we? Like are they have they like crossed the border? Crossed the time. Where is this? Like, is this a? Re- and then no. Then it cuts to a close up, and it's like ah, two, two punks again, right? And it's a and the cop car's kind of a mashed together cop car. It's extremely Mad Max that cop car. That is like a. To- I don't know if that was a Tirano or not, but it's like an extreme kind of like nod to Mad Max that particular car. I've got to say, yeah, it, like it's exactly the vintage. It's like an eighties yeah, kind of looking like, thing that's been. Uh, it's got the, the, even the fat the, wheel arches yeah, on the back. Even the way the cop, it's like those old blue lights. It's not, it's not the modern day. Mind blue you, light. personally, I was still looking at going, that Bentley's like, a, what, a, a, v, a W12 yeah, oh. six liter engine. It's got about 600 horsepower, four wheel drive. I don't know how many chase sequences I see in shows sometimes where it is like this toe. I don't, again, I'm not a supercar guy, but I do know, like, it's a, just such a disparity between the two cars and yet they're close like, it never gets me that yeah like and surely under, sinclair can drive a car right? like, like, not, not to 100 under five seconds it'll do yeah. a top speed of over 300 kilometers per hour this, yeah, this surely Bentley. it would disappear down the road it's got traction control it's got yeah. you know electronic stability anyway. it's, it's an amazing piece of kit yeah and yeah this this beat up old bombers <laughs> and you're thinking i mean it would kind of be a poor movie if the cop car came woo, woo, after and she's, she's going, oh, okay, floored it, hit the freeway. Yeah. Traveling 300 kilometers per hour and the cop car struggling 120 and it's yeah. like, okay, it's yeah. just been left in the dust. But, but that's pretty much what actually does anyway, happen anyway. After a few moments of chasing, the cop car goes off the edge, right? Yeah, well, she, she shoots out its tires. Yeah. And this is, that, I said, that James Bonding yeah. so spins around, comes to a skidding halt, bang, bang, bang. bang. It goes, ah! 
on these two and again that was that's just a again that's a, a nod to that sort of yeah era, all that action anarchy, yeah off the cliff there's two people in the car <laughs> just screaming <laughs> uh, and then she yeah what's the sinclair sort of says oh well i, I guess I guess we got out of that one or something. Yeah. And she says, oh, I wouldn't be so sure because in the mirror, you can see where she's looking. Yeah. There's this horde of, you <laughs> know, crap boxes, pure Mad Maxism. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, you, this is the Mad Max. You cannot, it's, the gimp is yeah. crucified to the front of a yeah, car, just like right. that, that dude in Mad Max. Yeah. And then the, um, the, the car that Sol's in is sort of this, I don't know what they've covered it over, like yeah. bandages. It looks like it's yeah. a bandaged classic car but yes. it's got like instead of a windshield it's got bars of some sort with yeah. spikes on it and yeah uh, it's just such a mis- mismatch of cars yeah you know, it's, like, it's incredible and that yeah. comes out so they yeah and gonna, viper the girl the woman yeah, his partner appears, is in the partner's appears seat. to be sitting next to him yeah appears to be sitting there he's like stitched he's sticky taped her head back on or something like and that yeah. they get this so then we we get into this this car chase where yeah. you know there's bumping <laughs> <of> <laughs> Bumping of fenders yeah. and there's back and forth a bit. And People then jumping on the car. Finally, the, you know, features face soul jumps through the window yeah. and there's like this crazy, he's just screaming, yeah. grabbing and throttling and yeah. uh, and there's, there's like a gun and there's odds a coming in and... pearl viper cops an arrow to the head at some yep. point. Yep. And then, you know, someone and else gets shot accidentally through the car window and... The whole thing goes on. And why and then, is there mean? is this, again, like Mad Max, where like one of the bad guys kills one of the other bad guys. You know, Because they're just, they're so intent, aren't they? Yeah, on, they're like, just getting the shooting bad, through the car. Like, and... They just kind of like, they'll kill each other to get to, it's very rat-like, I suppose. Like, it's, it's like, I'll eat you to get to this one. You know, like, oh, just, there's, there's no stopping the end. There's no, again, what I was saying earlier, there's no logical kind of fight to it. Like literally, you and I are on the right, on the same side. But I'll rip your face off to get to what I'm trying to get to. And then, of course, the the gimp car is there, and finally the Sinclair gets rid of that fellow and looks at the gimp and says, "So you love pain?" And the gimp goes, "Ah!" <laughs> and he rams off the side. And he goes slamming into the like just full face into the burning yeah, into truck, the burning or truck or whatever that's exploded. And then they jump Some through guy a flings along the ground. As the bus pulls out and it yeah. shoots spinning discs of death which <laughs> fly across and only Sol is left on the car. Yeah. And he's stand, he's sitting on all fours on top of the car just screaming. Scream as it heads towards this bus. Jumps through the bus as it's just a, a classic action sequence bash through the bus. I love that of course because again, how did the car jump? Yeah. But it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. It's an action film, that's yeah. what happens. Yeah. Everyone knows that when the action hero's car hits at a Another vehicle, it jumps hey, through it. The classic is speed. In speed, that bus jumps a hole. I don't want to ruin it for anyone if you've never seen speed, but it jumps over that hole in the freeway. Yeah, it does a jump. But there's no actual jump. It just jumps. Yes. One of the do. trucks, one of the vans chasing hit. See, someone fell off and rolled yeah. on the ground, and a van hit it and nosedived yeah. and exploded. Yeah, I laughed that as well. It's just that's a classic action. Yeah, they just instantly explode. It's brilliant. As I said, it's but all it a little bit great movie. It's all a little bit tongue in cheek, but it's still it's done seriously. You know, that's yeah. Dramatic music's playing. It's very tense. Well, it's that song when two tribes go two to tribes war. go to war. It's a sort of a, a, yeah. a heavier version of that going mm. on. Yeah, 
And yeah, so finally Sol is wiped out by this bus. Well, he, his head is decapitated and yeah. <laughs> towards the camera, right? He rolls like along and... Screaming the whole time. <laughs> That's a great shot. The Bentley goes roaring up and, and slides to a, a halt with the yeah. helicopter and out pops... Um, yes. The Gator, whatever his name is. <laughs> Michael Canneris. Yeah, the yes. politician. Ah, oh, you got me my prize. <laughs> Have you got the package? Have you got my package? And you're welcome to come on board. Let's get yes. out of this shit all. <laughs> I'm going to... <laughs> Going to let a few more go before this one finishes. Yeah, and he like that's the thing. He he unleashes a bit of a spray about letting London go to let the undesirables burn. go. Yeah, <laughs> I wish I could talk like him because he was very good at he talking. Was, he, he wasn't was. a good person. He was a terrible person. Yeah, but he had a great voice. He did have a great voice. Um, so they take off. He let you know she lets them go, and then Sinclair gets back in the Bentley and. Fangs it off. Oh, down actually, the this was freeway. a nice little scene here. Again, teenage boy. Yeah, she gets out of the car, and we have a gratuitous butt shot as we she walks up. She's wearing, we? the, but you realise it wasn't gratuitous because she puts her hands behind her back as she goes and twitches her wristwatch. You know, the yes, recording, the thing. recording money. Yeah, and so it's like, ah, oh, you weren't just showing us a butt shot. No, which is common in these actions. You go to yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, Underworld, Underworld and she's got the tight leather Resident Evil and so forth yeah. there are gratuitous butt shots as of course. they just walk about the place it's in the contract it's, it's, it's one of the things we need these nine shots movies the film. must have a decapitation and gratuitous butt shot that's they just must. like you've got to have those two so she does she records the whole conversation anyway she takes off you're a bit like where's she going and this is where we get Nelson um, you know the the head Hopkins Hoskins <laughs> rocks up uh, in a helicopter as well, kind of finds her in this old home, um, and it's her mum's home. Yeah, she's having a bit of a cry. And she's having a bit of a moment. Well, which is, a, I think this is one of those comparisons with the opening scene yeah. where she just completed this, you know, very dramatic, violent yeah. shootout, and she's kind of looking a bit empty. Yeah. Uh, you know, she's not really displaying anything, any emotion. She's not all, like I said, she's not whooping and yahooing she's not crying she's just kind of there yeah and this one here she's finished her little bit and pieces and let this guy wander off and what i liked of course is that guy just let her go as well yeah yeah like it would have been so easy to go oh i can't have you getting away with us i'm gonna kill you you're gonna get yeah. eat my haggis yeah yeah for breakfast now i'm well, get fat like, he, he actually says to us it's a shame because i need a top you know yeah. military person like you yeah, but um, but he just lets yeah, her go. Yeah, he just off. lets her go, yeah. And and so she goes back to her house and uh, and now in comparison, she's sitting there, same scene, she's sitting there after the mission, similar seated position. Yeah. She's Box holding in. instead of holding mum's letter, yeah. she's now holding mum's photo. Photo, yeah. And um Hoskins characters comes up and says uh and hands her the letter and she's like, Yeah, well I don't need that. But she's having a bit of a sook. Mm. <laughs> Understandable. <laughs> I don't think "sook's" the right word. She's having a bit of a moment. She's having it. She's having it. She's finally having. She's grieving her mother. Yeah. A bit of emotion there, like yeah. you know, she's. Which yeah, you kind of think she must be so messed up to be able oh. to have no emotion after the massive kill spree and all that adrenaline. That's right. But she gets home. She has a bit of a cry. So, the, but that's the comparison. That's her growth. She's gone from lost in the world a bit through this adventure, which hasn't hasn't given her what she thought she wanted, but it's given it what she needed, which was yeah. that closure, closure to see what her mother looked like and to experience her family home and know that 
she used to have a life here. Yeah, and and that I suppose yeah, you're exactly right. Closure. Her mother has passed on some point during the virus, and she can move on now. You know, like she can move. It's a door closed. What well, we didn't realize that for 28 years she was a successful hairdresser, makeup artist, and choreographer. <laughs> so those little madcap dances that he'd do out there with the kilt men. That was her. That was, that was her. her all along, yeah. But unfortunately, yeah, she um, yeah, stubbed her toe, got a deadly infection and died uh, just before she turned up. Yeah, and she does the same thing. She pulls out the recording, the recording disc, of hands the it to scheme, him, yeah. and which is the same thing she does with the, um, the start. The, 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 start. the, the whole thing she, is mirrored beautifully. Is mirrored. Yep. And then she goes back into Glasgow, mm. and we have that the punk. scene of all the pump. Pumps. Pumps. The pumped up kids. <laughs> the pumped up kids with their, their wild locks and, their and crazy uh, eye makeup. Night and then their Nikes. Yeah. They're all they're all arrayed in a group photo opportunity. I guess yeah. they, they've got you know the tall people to the back, the shorter people yeah. to the front, that sort of thing. Well they're shocked that she's just And they're like what you know rah, they're kind of ready they're to not sure her. what's happening here yeah. because they don't have a leader to tell no. them to like go crazy. And she chucks a head at them. And what does she say at the end? Well, I think she says, "Are you ready to eat?" Ah, are you are you ready? To, if you're hungry, yeah, try a piece of your friend. Yeah, and she throws in it's that same line. Yeah, she throws Soul's head towards them. Yeah, and this and is that, a, there's a moment where they're a bit confused, and then they're like, "Ah, <laughs> no, yes, I am hungry. I'll eat him." <laughs> Yay, we have a new leader. New good. leader. <laughs> the leader is good. The leader is yes. good. <laughs> yeah. Right, so I'm not really sure what her if intention you're hungry, is. Try a piece of your friend. Well, what's her intention having this this bunch? Because she doesn't seem like she never expressed an intention to um, make the, peace or be peaceful or or even invade London or do anything. She no, was, but that's I suppose the thing is that now it's cl- she's closed her with closed her with her mother, so she can it's a new life for her. And it's just, she's and she's she's a born yeah she's a military lady. She's ruthless. She's a she can train them. Maybe she'll train them into a proper group. And uh, yeah, that's a sequel, isn't it? Who knows? Who she will knows? storm London or... Fight the Robin Hoods. Yeah, fight them and take over, just become the Queen of Scotland. Aye. Sinclair, The Queen stone of, of destiny. Take back that stone of destiny that they have in Scotland. Oh. All right. So, and then we have, yeah, the end. Roll credits. Great little film, this one. And so where are we putting this on your ladder, Surrey? I think for me, I am putting it at number 19... Um, so for me, that means it comes in before equals at number 20 and after Gantz, point O. Ah. Um, so yeah, no, number 19 for me, I felt, which is, we've done, I've got 36 on this other ladder, um, which I'm pretty sure is all of them. You got 36? Oh my God, I've got 35. Oh, you might be missing one. Um, so yeah, anyway, it's, so it's sort of right on spank in the middle. I mean, Darkest Dawn is above it, Replicas is above it, uh, After It Is Equals, Revolt, the thing sort of thing. So it's in there. You can check out my ladder uh, on, on, on my website and also on the Space Brains uh, page. And as Sari has noted on an early episode, we probably need to get together and refine this. So we might do a little special coming up soon. Uh, as we approach 50 episodes. 50 episodes. Holy moly. because tonight is 46, right? It better be. 47. That's 47, sorry. Or I'm going to have to hunt through and edit that out. And change. <laughs> no, it's 47 tonight. So, um, yeah. So, anyway, mine's... And the reason for that is, look, it's a great film. 
I liked um, I liked the gore crossing over into the science fiction world. Um, I liked the end of the world apocalypse and how they did it. I like that this is a hypothetical kind of point of view. Um, when I sort of see it in comparing it to something like Gantz, obviously it's a very different story, but I just I sort of feel like that's where it fits in roughly. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I put yeah. this down at number twenty eight sort of. In Paradox, Occupation, Dark Storm, Wandering Earth Territory. Yep. Uh, I felt that it had that, like I said, in terms of feeling, it sort of had a um, a, a bit of a Dark Storm, Occupation, Wandering Earth sort of feel to it mm. in my experience of this thing. Yeah. Uh, so it's below it then we have, yeah, Shanghai Fortress and um, Equals and so forth. Above it we've got... So, you know, Spectral is also very similar because it yeah. borrowed heavily from Aliens. And that's that's a bit above it. I found that the the Spectral one, the, the technology and, and the, the action, I liked a little bit more, mainly because the hero was like a, an engineer. Yeah. <laughs> like, so if, if only Sinclair was actually a computer programmer, then, you know... <laughs> that would tick your box. It, so it your teenage sorry. It would have got in there. Oh, I'd be like, yeah, that, that would just be another person I'd never get to talk to. It's great. <laughs> Uh, there were a lot of people I didn't get to talk to as a teenage boy. <laughs> what a hot, a hot engineer that saves the world. Okay, all right. That's no what worries. we need. We need more of them. Yes, we do. There's only a few of them that I know of. Yeah. So, does this hot engineer have any science to talk about from tonight's film? And here, I'm not talking about Sinclair. I'm talking about you. Sorry. Yeah. Although it might be a little bit arrogant of me to call myself an engineer. Yeah. That whole software engineer IT. thing. I, I've never really qualified IT as engineer. an engineer. Yeah. Software. But, yes, I, I had a look at a couple of bits and pieces. I, I did look up the Bentley because I was curious. To, mm. And I found out, of course, Bentley doesn't do promotional spots. Yep. So quite often the big cars, like you take iRobot with Will Smith, um, uh, Audi sponsored that, and they, they made a prototype car for mm. iRobot. Um, Demolition Man, I think that was Audi as well. They did the same thing. They kind of came up with... James Bond is renowned for being sponsored by Aston Martin. Yep. Jaguar, BMW. BMW, that was a controversial one. Yeah. Because it's like, oh, that's not a British car make. Yes. Um, so that, And they do that and they tend to provide them in the same as the James Bond. They provide them with, you know, it's like a prototype. So it's a little mm-hmm. bit of a different... It's a, it's a unique, one of a kind. Yeah, and they had, the, I guess, the Lotus as well. But in this, So when I saw the Bentley on screen, I thought, oh, that's odd. Bentley's yep. done a promo spot yeah haven't seen one of those it's, it's sort of a, a strange choice for them i would have thought they'd choose a more of a, a gentleman's movie because the bentley is sort of the gentleman driver's car you know that's it's for people who like driving but you're, you're a bit of a gentleman or gentle lady as the case may be uh, so that was a bit of an odd, odd choice but no and i was, I was looking at this other things but it was an eye that got me because i realized yeah, i love the eye i got no clue about artificial eyes like and, and so here's how little I knew because I thought, okay, she pops that eye out and pops it back in. I've seen this a couple of movies and next week we're going to talk about another movie with someone popping eyeballs in and out. Yeah. And I thought, is that, uh, that's got to be unhygienic. You can't just pop your eyeball out, roll it around the ground, chuck it back in there and have no worries. Yeah. So I thought, how, how do glass eyes work? Yeah. And that's where I went with this because yeah. it's really interesting. And also then artificial vision with the eyes. Yes. Because that's, you know, a lot of science fiction have people with enhanced vision mm. of some sort. You know, Riddick has it in Pitch Black. Uh, the Doomsday Sinclair, she's got it. There's um, 
you know, I guess even like the Terminators walking around with yeah. fancy pants eyeballs. <laughs> fancy pants. <laughs> eyeball. Trademark. <laughs> Trademark. Oh, yeah, anyway. so let's see. Now, I found a very interesting. Here's an article uh, about... Here's an article about archaeology. This, so this is in the CHN Press. There's an article that was uh, published in 2006, I think it was. So basically, there's uh, an artificial eyeball discovered. It was belonged to a 4,800-year-old uh, woman, probably a lady, as you'll hear from the description here. So there's in uh, Iran. Let me see, where is it? It's actually 57 kilometers from the city of Zabul, which is in the southeast of Iran. And it's called the Burnt City Location, and it's a very important prehistoric site. Uh, it's an old city, obviously. But here we have a... Um, they found in the excavation the skeletal remains of a... St they refer to her as a sturdy woman. <laughs> Not entirely sure that's complimentary. <laughs> she was a sturdy woman. A good slow center of gravity, a wide... But anyway, sturdy woman between 25 and 30 years of age at the time of her death. Uh, they found this eyeball. She had a fake eye. And the material seemed to be made out of tar and fat, but it had a coating of gold plate, so gold leaf over it. And they found her much, she's a bit of mummified remains. On the inside of her eyelid, there was like a little bit of a an abscess, which mm. indicates that she wore this for a long time. This wasn't yeah. something that was just sort of placed with her body, she actually wore it. And they actually found some eye tissue on the eye itself. This eye had, you know, drawn in little eye capillaries that were using gold wire. And gold, of course, is important because it's soft and easy to mold, but it's also very non-reactive. So it won't corrode or interact with your blood and skin. And it had like, you know, like a little fanciful design of a iris and so forth in there. Yeah, so it's quite interesting to find that nearly 5,000 years ago, <clears throat> an artificial eye actually in the eye socket yeah. would fit behind the eyelid. Yep. So that was fascinating. Yeah. Fast forward to... Oh, so that, sorry, that issue was in, that was in uh, 2012. So fast forward then to modern day um, eyeballs and... I was always of the impression, because it's portrayed that way in movies, that a glass eye was literally like a ping pong ball shaped thing, <laughs> which had, it just looks like an eye, right? Yeah. And you pop it in and out of your eye, eye socket. Yeah. But of course, when you think about that, you go, well, well hold on, what's holding it in the eye socket? And yeah. Wouldn't, that would probably cause damage. So it's not true. So when... This woman, she, uh, Sinclair, not the ancient woman, goodness knows what happened to her eye. So Sinclair suffered some eye damage, mm. but it wasn't, um, you know, it didn't burn her whole eye out. She didn't. Mm. And this is quite common then to replace it with a prosthesis yeah. because her musculature there and nerve system and blood vessels are still intact. Yep. Just her eye is not going to work. Yeah. So they take it out to enucleation, it's called, right. which is where they basically take the eyeball out just right. carefully. They leave some of the casing in there so the muscles and blood vessels are all intact. Yep. And then they pop in a 
ball. Yep. Uh, which is like, in the past, it has been glass. Yep. So back in the 16th through the 18th century, Venice was all about glass eyes. If you want a yep. glass eye and you're in like the 1600s or 1700s, you're talking about Venice. They yep. kept the secret of glass eyeball making and glass blowing in general. Yep. Very secret. But that, that escaped and Germany started doing it. World War II came and the United States uh, suddenly had a need to produce fake eyes for all the soldiers coming home with lost eyeballs. Yep. So they started doing it. And glass is okay because it's smooth and it's hard, but it's not biocompatible. So yep. your body doesn't do anything with it. It's, it's uh-huh. just a foreign object. Yep. Nowadays, we've got much better materials, which are slightly porous. So they put this ball in, which is a little bit porous, plastic, basically. Yep. But blood vessels, and they can attach your muscles to this right. little ball. Yep. And then, and that's featureless. So that's yep. just a, a ball which gets stuff grown over it. Yep. The artificial eye part itself is actually like a little shell. If you could imagine um, cutting the top off, your egg, you know, you get your bo- yeah. hard-boiled egg and you crack it across with your knife to put on your with your toast. It's just that shell, like it's like a Dip little, your little cup, soldiers in, like a partial cup with the eyeball hand painted, the iris hand painted on there to yep. match your other eyeball, and then it slots in. Uh, let me think, like um, like yeah. a like a shin guard in your socks, you know, like. Yeah. But so it goes pops up under your eye, and it's like a great big contact lens type of thing. Yeah. It sits over top of this ball. And that's the bit that you take in and out. Mm-hmm. So that's more like, like I said, like an eggshell type of thing. Yeah. And you wash that and you clean it, get it polished, regular maintenance, you know, and pop it back in. Yep. Uh, this YouTube video of a, a kid doing it. Yeah. Uh, it's freaky because I was curious. I'm going, well, yeah, yeah. how does this work? And yeah, he pulls it out, washes, yeah, washes his hands, he pulls it out, washes it, dries it, pops, pops it back, back in. in. And yeah, it's all quite weird looking but it's certainly not a ball you can take out unfortunately yeah, like Sinclair's so so that's no good no but it works and you can and get little pegs uh, so that normally just sits over top of this ball but to get slightly better movement so that your eyes match when they roll around the place yeah. they can actually sort of have like a little Lego you know Lego has like a one bit has like a little peg the other bit has a little socket yeah. so yeah. you can have something on those lines you can sort of peg it in there and that will let it move around a bit more. Lock it in better. Lock it in a bit better. So when we're talking about artificial vision, you can't pull that in and out of your eye at all because it's grafted to your nerve. Because yep. in order to send signals to your brain, they've, they've got the uh, eye nerve. Oh, sorry, actually, there's two types of these things. And I was really excited by the first type, which is called a um, implanted telescope. How about <laughs> that? So if you've got... Just damage, say, um, what was it like a glaucoma or, or a you know a damage to your part of your um, lens or outer eye that can't focus light yeah. onto your retina properly. You get like a little implant which goes inside your eyeball, mm-hmm. and it's a little telescope which magnifies two to two point seven times everything yeah. out, and you know um, just shines it back onto your retina that's undamaged, the undamaged yeah, right. wow. So you can gain some vision back yep. from your eye. Yep. Uh, you can read with that 
and you know you can see things with it yeah uh, it's it's a bit dodgy around the edges because you don't have great and it is sort of magnified so it's it's a bit weird you've got yeah. to like wear glasses and stuff but Still. you can get some vision back yeah. which is which is pretty cool now then the other one which is more like what Sinclair had is in you've got no eyeball but you've got an optic nerve that works yep they'll wrap the optic nerve with some wires mm-hmm. essentially I think I think they've got to about 30 or 60 little um, sensory wires, which they'll mm. wire into that. And there'll be like a little camera there. And some of the earlier ones, it was just a camera. It would, it would just produce sparkles of light, mm. which would d- allow you to differentiate between light and dark shades. Yeah. So if you were in a dark room and there was a, a door open into a light room, yeah. you'd be able to find, if you covered your other eye, for example... You'd be able to find that door and you'd be able to head into it because mm-hmm. it'd be a, a light patch against the dark and so on. They they've got better ones, so that's like the Argus Two, which I think is the only. And that was in two thousand and. Ooh, I could turn around and look at my computer, but I have a feeling. The Argus Two was two thousand and four or something. The, the Argus One was in the nineties. Yep. And the more recent ones that they're looking at now have a coprocessor. So it takes in, a camera takes in an image, it processes it to get stronger contrast mm-hmm. and then takes a small section of that and then blasts the optic nerve with it. Yeah. And so again, it's it's not much. People describe it as being like being able to see sparkling stars. And if you if you sweep your vision around the place, you can kind of pick up outlines and things. You can't read. You can't, there's no color. It's all you know, so it's it's really primitive. Yeah. It I arguably not much better than being blind at all. Yeah. Particularly if you've got one working eye. Yes. You might as well just get a glass eye and like go, well Yeah. Much easier. If you're totally blind and you're struggling, then maybe it'll be helpful. Yeah. But what they're looking at now and future is of course artificial intelligence with this. Because you've got yeah. this image processing which produces electrical signals to stimulate an optic nerve, but they don't know how to stimulate that optic nerve to produce images. Yeah. They can stimulate it, which produces, like I said, contrast between dark and light. Mm-hmm. So here's light bits, here's dark bits. But to produce anything like the ultimate would be able to read. If you could read yeah. and write or recognize faces, then, hey, that would be the ultimate. Of course. So... Looking more of a co-processor, so you have the eye is a bit of a camera. It would then send the imagery to some sort of a computer, which then uses an artificial intelligence learning algorithm. You can start training it to recognize things and fire the correct stuff mm-hmm. because everyone's going to have a slightly different thing. So the the dream there would be that you'd have to have some sort of a training session. You plug yourself in and you look at defined shapes and letters and stuff, yeah. and you train this computer to be able to stimulate your brain well enough for you to recognize stuff. Yeah. Uh, we're still a long way from that because the interface between the eyeball and the brain yeah. is still, it's, it's, you know, it's very simple yeah. at the moment, and it's a very complicated connection, as you could well imagine. Yes. You know, I don't think we quite understand how complicated these things are. But, well, the eyeball is pretty complicated. But an AI would be perfect. That's the kind of 
problem that this neuro network AI is good at solving mm. is that one where you've got inputs and a known required output, but you don't know how to process the two together. You, you run through your neural network a few million times and it eventually finds a way and says, well, if I do this, it kind of works. Yes. Don't know why, but it kind of does. Yeah. So there we go. So it's quite good. And that, that actually reminded me of an earlier piece I read earlier this week. Actually, I wasn't going to talk about this, but I will anyway because it's exciting. One of the reasons we dream now, there's this theory, is that it's to preserve our visual cortex. Why? Because as, as we're going along, we spend so much time in darkness or with our eyes closed, there's competing you know, competition for mental resources. We, we like to say we have parts of the brain responsible for different parts of thought, mm. but they're not fixed. So... If you, uh, like for example, blind, your visual cortex is considerably smaller. You still have some visual processing because you can still imagine things. Yep. And your visual processing then gets converted and used for spatial awareness type of uh -huh. visualization, depending yep. on whether you've ever seen before in your life or you've always been blind. Yeah. But the problem is that if you close your eyes every night for however long, say you spend 12 hours without being able to see properly, it's entirely probable that other processing will start overtaking your eyes. So to preserve that, you dream, which activates this visual cortex. Just so your brain says, I'm still using this. Don't, don't shift it. But anyway, that's, that's artificial eyeballs, which fascinating and very long history. I didn't, 5,000 years, I didn't realize it. So Pirates of the Caribbean, <laughs> where the dude's got the <laughs> wooden eye. Well, it wouldn't actually be a wooden eye, but yeah, back in the... When, when were the Pirates of the Caribbean getting around? They were 1600s? Something like that, yeah. 1500s? 1500s. Somewhere 1500s. in that region? Yeah. They would definitely have had glass eyes mm. from Venice. Yeah. was possible. Interesting, eh? Yeah. And what about you? Let's let's talk about some of the filmmaking stuff. We've, we've mentioned a few things like the use of music and um, some of the shots... Yeah, we have we have talked about a few of the things. I think um, with the overall cinematography, it was shot nice and close. There was lots of close-ups, extreme close-ups. Um, I felt they probably did that to create a little bit of claustrophobia. So it's kind of like nice and tight. We're not about... I mean, there's big wide shots and establishing shots, of course, but lots of it was really close, you know, so we were intentionally cutting people's heads off and chins off and we're right in on people's faces. So that seemed to be a bit of a thing I noticed throughout the whole film. Music, you know about the music. This film, the music is just so important, hey? So when th this performance, especially from Soul, his show, he walks out to dog, um, yeah, he, wa he, he walks out to Dog Eat Dog mm. by Adam and the Ants. It's very tribal, the crowd is going wild. He then starts dancing with those kind of strippers on stage um, to The Good Thing yeah. by the Fine Young Cannibals. So there's a good bit of irony and context kind of about what's about to happen here. <laughs> and it's a nod, as you said, from the filmmaker. You know, it's yeah. like this is an in-joke, yes. you know, of what this is. I mean, whether Soul knew that or not, I don't, I'm not too sure, but it's definitely from the filmmakers a nice little nod. Um, the Men in Kilts is the, I looked this up, it's the Can Can, which is a, a, an older song, but it's been, it's based on an older song, but it's been created 
um, who is a composer for film, Ariel Ratchard. Um, and it's a traditional Scottish dance. And this song is actually quite a well-known dance since this film. A dance song, sorry. It's become kind of a bit of a dance song. Um, but that, it's, it's very Scottish, the fact that they've got that in there, isn't it? That it's like the men in kilts. Yes. You know, it'd be like if it was Irish, there'd be a bit of river dance somewhere in there, even though we're about to eat people. So it's kind of like that tribalness comes to it. Um, yeah, and so, so it's a real... It's a mega mix, that scene. Hey, it's just such a standout scene. Particularly because up to that point, it had been just sort of 80s cinema action, yeah. background it, it type of music. the scenes, right? Like, yeah. Back, like, background music, background music. And yeah, then nothing had sort of stood out. And then all of a sudden we've got... Hard pop, yeah. rock, dance. And I mean, when he does do those things like Dog Eat Dog and The Good Thing and these kilts, it's all very um, staged, theatrical performance which is the point of the scene you know it's like oh we make this big scene and song and dance don't we uh, and they all liked everything he did like when he dances with those strippers it's he's not dancing with strippers as in he's having a lap dance he's dancing with the strippers it's all choreographed you know oh ah you know yes. lean over here they lean over he smacks their butt but it's all sort of part of the performance right they lean in to kind of grab a piece of him and he shrugs them away and then the men in kilts come out like it's it's all very crazy choreographed performance to just say i'm the boss yeah <laughs> um and then we mentioned it before the fight that that big song of um uh two tribes go to war by frankie goes to hollywood which is literally the song is about people going to war having you know going off the two sides of war so that you know, the climax of it. And it's a deliberate song choice in that hectic, crazy car chase explosions that we went through before. So I just think that it, this film doesn't have an exhaustive soundtrack because there you can just see that, that you can look it up. There's about there's a whole YouTube mix of this film, of the songs. Um, not only the soundtrack is available, but the soundtrack is like, there's lots of stuff that's been created for the film, done very wisely, as you said, this 80s synth <laughs> Uh, disco house kind of music, but that those particular songs are all kind of nods to what is actually happening in those scenes. Mm. It's a real deliberate choice, and probably the the deepest one is that good thing by the Cannibals because it's just like that's what I do like you know in watching these enjoy watching our sci-fi is you start thinking about the the directoral choices and mm. and yeah the music and lighting and shots they're intentional they've, they've They've of done course. it yeah. for a purpose to work. Yeah, because you go, well, yeah, of, of course. But when you think about it and you're watching it and you look at it, yeah, you start to appreciate what the directors, the language they're trying to use. They're trying yeah. to talk to you. It's it's not purely a... Um, well, I think there are some movies which are kind of purely what's on the screen is what you're getting. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, but particularly in the action genre... Yeah. Where, but there's also plenty of other movies where there's a little bit of extra conversation going on, which is great. Um, probably also you, we talk, we've talked a fair bit uh, exhaustively about the magic tunnel. Yes. Like an- another thing with that is like the lighting because when it's in the uh, Souls dungeon Glasgow, it's all very night and grimy and dark and shadowy. Um, is one way they do that. Whereas after that, when they do go out into the Robin Hood green fields, that's actually daytime. Yes. And so there's also like, they've just deliberately 
played off the lighting of what well, all of... And, I mean, even though it's a day and a night, it's very logical. You've got these two worlds that are apart from each other and it's pretty much night in all of Soul's world and then uh, daytime in the night world, you know, which is quite interesting. So it's that, that difference that uh, happening oh, there. Oh, I didn't, I didn't think of it that way because Soul is sun, but it's night in sun's world. And yeah. Nights as in... Nights in, yeah. <laughs> but it's day in the night side. Yeah. Interesting. So there you go. Um, and probably the last thing, just a huge kudos, is that props and hair. Because, yeah, as we said, we the film kind of goes through some genres and some nods to other films. And there's kind of segments of the film almost in a way. And all of those props and hair and makeup and costumes match all that. So when we when we're... In London with the politicians, it's very modern day, political world, hair, makeup, you know, uh, costumes all very appropriate to that boring sort of aesthetic. You've got her in her drug dealer world where it's, you know, you know, military kind of outfits and all that kind of thing. When they go to the punks, they're the real homage to this 80s crazy Mad Max punk world. When we go to the Knights, it's all very well done for that. You know, I mean, all of them could be separate films where people show you the special special uh, trades of those kind of world building. But in this film, they do it throughout. So whoever worked on the props and the makeup oh, and the, the costumes, the costumes, like very it's good. really intense, and they just seem to nail all of those worlds. I reckon, mm. you know. So um, yeah, I mean, it wasn't it great that I just want to do a little little nod that guy that Sol leaves Sinclair and he says, okay, don't hurt her, look after her, and he walks out. And that guy's got that punk chain going from his nose to his ear. And it's great, right? It's really great. And then later she rips it, you know, like it's such a classic thing, isn't it, to have that. And just well, go, when, oh, whenever that you up. do see someone with something yeah. like that, you kind of do want to tug. Tug. <laughs> she does. So when you see someone with like a, a big pointy beard, you just you want to give it a bit yeah. of a tug? Yeah. So well done to the whole crew and cast of Doomsday because they've come up with something that's like pretty damn special. It's got a little bit of tongue-in-cheek to it. It's got amazing, gory special effects, which I'd expect from Neil Marshall after you go and have a look. And look, just on a side note, I know we do science fiction here, but if you have not seen The Descent, have you seen The I've Descent? I've seen The Descent. Oh, my goodness. And Dog Soldiers, yeah. Film. I mean, Dog, Dog Soldiers is like terror and humour. The Descent is just pretty much terror. Oh, look, I, I've got to say it. Like you there is, there is no spoon. That, that yeah. line killed me. <laughs> um, so let's talk about our next episode. We are going back in time a little bit because we got to see this at... Our special little invite to our science fiction. We went to the universe. Little Planet uh, Science Fiction Festival. We did which last is week. run uh, every Christmas, yeah, basically. Kind it's, of post Christmas. This, this wonderful science fiction loving gentleman named Sean who puts on a couple of movies yeah. and he gives a little spiel about it. Yeah. And everyone brings a bit of food yeah. and it's it's a it's a lovely night to sit little and watch a couple of movies and eat a bit yeah, of food and, and talk to some people. Yeah. yeah, and have a good chat about science fiction with like-minded people. So we love it's our second year that we've gotten to go to it. Hopefully we'll get an invite for the third. I don't think you embarrassed yourself. Yes, yes. So, so yeah, Sean, you here? <laughs> anyway, this, this, um, the next two episodes, we're going to talk about the movies we watched that night. So the next episode... It is a science fiction film called The Brother from Another Planet.
Yeah, I was excited to watch this because it sounds like some of the movies I've seen in the 80s, which were like, um, yeah, sort of these, these black exploitation type movies. Yeah. Was, what what yeah. was this one? I was trying to remember this one. I was just about this, this black woman who gets hard done by a couple of men and then she goes on a revenge spree and kills everyone. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can't, that, can't, yeah that sort of thing. And so it's got that sort of title. So, But I definitely wouldn't have picked this for myself to watch no. normally. It's surprising mm-hmm. and clever. Yes. And we'll talk about it next episode. We will. It's exciting to get told what to watch in a way and then to watch it and go, wow. Yeah, it's, it's... <laughs> so that will be our next episode. So stay tuned. Check us out on our socials. We're on Facebook, uh, Instagram, and Twitter. And of course, you can find us online. Listen to the podcast if you're listening. You know where to find us. If you Vegan Google, also... if now, look, I, I tested out because I was telling a coworker about this. Yeah. Now, when you type in space brains into yeah. Google, we are the first yeah, we're left, the, ding, we're first the entry. And it actually has the little blurb, you know, Space yeah. Brains is where we watch science fiction, Beautiful. talk about it. Yeah. Mark and Surrey doing like, and I'm like, okay, that's, there we go. So there we go. We've been on Google long enough now. If you type Space Brains in there, we're you cannot miss us. <laughs> Fantastic. So we'll catch you next time. See ya. See ya. See ya.